All right, Bizzlecasters, welcome to the Star Wars Extravaganza podcast. Force Awakens been out now a little under two weeks, making well over a billion dollars in basically a week and a half. Everyone seems to be loving it, but there are a lot of things to talk about with this movie. And I, I did a non-spoiler podcast that did, that did decently up there, uh, but you know I couldn't talk about anything because it's a non-spoiler podcast. I've been waiting to do this. I think we're at a point where spoilers, you know, can start to be available. If you haven't seen the movie, stay unspoiled and come back to this when you're done. So this isn't going to be a traditional review because I already did that. Um, although I have to say, it's having seen it numerous times again since my initial review, I like the movie a lot more. Have a lot more thoughts. Um, so this is going to be more of a, a party slash analysis of Star Wars The Force Awakens, and who better to bring in than two Bizzlecast veterans. I've got Gabriel, who is on with my pre-Star Wars uh, podcast with another buddy of mine, Adam Dietz, uh, who's also a Bizzlecaster. So Gabriel, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, returning, returning Bizzlecast member, ready to take a new episode. Yeah. And uh, also bringing back Matt Goisman, who is responsible for, along with me, uh, the longest Bizzlecast uh, ever, at least to date. Uh, We didn't even realize it at the time. I mean, we sort of realized it, but we just had so many topics to talk about. Matt's a uh, sports writer, but also loves fantasy and sci-fi, comic book stuff. And so we just really hit it off. And um, next thing we know, it's like more than three hours later, because it was three hours with a cut. Still the only one over three hours. That's saying a lot for Bizzlecast. Um, so, Matt, it's great to have you back. How are you, man? I'm doing fine. I had so much fun doing the last one. I was just immediately when I got off, I started thinking, well, I get to do this again. How, you know, can I come back? Uh, I was very aware by the end, though, how long it had gone because my throat was like hurting and, you know, I, I needed physically a break. Uh, to take care of needs and things like that (laughs) yeah i think we only took one break that whole time Uh, maybe two but uh either way certainly the longest science fiction fantasy comic book conversation i think i've ever had which was awesome well i'm glad it was such an awesome experience for you i equally enjoyed it and i also as soon as i started kind of editing it is like all right how do i get this guy back on um we're just into a lot of the same things as is gabriel so now that we got gabriel matt back on let's just dive right in star wars the force awakens technically opened december 17th i believe in some areas official release date in the u.s was the 18th we are now at december 30th and they're around like 1.2 yeah they they they, uh surpassed the 1.2 billion mark uh this movie's going to be out for months i think there's a couple countries doesn't come out with china Uh, yeah it hasn't done china yet that's january Um, 9th and then it's going to make i mean that's going to add maybe a billion more dollars to its revenue like right there, yeah, definitely. And uh, I saw it in I saw it in Ghana the weekend of the, the first. Oh, yeah, Saturday. yeah. Tell us about that. Nineteen. Well, I saw a uh, a trailer for it on TV, and this is um, and it said you know now playing. And I was like, wow, you know, I was excited. I didn't I didn't think I was going to be able to see it until you know I got back to the states, which was Christmas Eve. So yeah, I was like, let me round up the round up my little cousins, and it took them to see Star Wars. So. Uh, there's a big like modern mall there. All the Christmas festivities you would imagine, like Christmas tree. Uh, except there was 
like a DJ out front there playing like really loud music. People were dancing. Very festive. The prices of the tickets, I was expecting them to be a lot more in line with other things that, you you know, in the economy, just... Right. Um, and I went in, to, Ga- in Ghana, you mean? Right. I went to the movies in Malaysia over the summer, um, saw Mission Impossible, and ticket prices were about $4. So I was thinking, you know, it'll be like six bucks max. And then just something to make it accessible for you know, your average you know, Ghanaian to be able to go see. Tickets were like eight fifty, nine. I think yeah, about about eight fifty. And you know, to take to take my three cousins to treat them, I was like, wow. We still, you know, we only had limited amount of uh, currency that I had exchanged, and it it put a dent. I was like, I, I didn't expect it. So like because of that, of course, the energy is a little bit different. You don't really have the same phenomena of you know lines out in front out in front of the theaters. Like people just don't have as much access to it for it to really become a huge event. Let me see. What else? And just from that experience, I don't believe they showed trailers at all. And I think that's also just due to the, the movie going experience, not being as, you know, mainstream or as, you know, open to the, the masses of people that, uh, you know, the excitement of a trailer and that like theatrical experience was just certainly didn't happen in the seventies. And it still hasn't really uh, become a thing there yet. But it it looks like it, it will, though. It looks like it will, just because you know, they did release the movie weekend of uh, you know of its of of its U.S. release. So it could happen, but yeah, it's just the, the economics of it really aren't there yet. Okay, so you know we're shortly going to get into what we liked, what we loved, what we didn't like so much, and other thoughts about the movie. But since Gabriel brought this up as a cultural phenomenon that he could even see it in Ghana, um, is pretty amazing, and this uh, taps into a few things about the film industry. Matt uh, and I discussed this a bit on our podcast about how the major studios have perfected international distribution. It used to be that with a blockbuster in America, if you got two-thirds from America and one-third the rest of the world, you're doing pretty good. Like if you look at, say, X-Men 2000, for example, I believe that's the case. But in the last you know five to eight years, it's flipped, and now you want to get two thirds of your returns overseas. I mean, you know, movies like from last year, Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy, and X Men: Days of Future Past, all of whom made like seventy percent or more of their foreign totals. I mean, for Captain America to be making seventy five percent overseas, you know, Star Wars is going to do well. And it is doing well. And what's amazing about Star Wars is its start, while it did break records at $250 million for opening weekend, Avengers was not that much further back. Neither was Jurassic World. But this is the movie, like Avatar, which didn't actually have one of the um, best box offices ever. I think, I think it was in the, what, like 70s? 70 million range? Yeah, I mean, you know, Star Wars is just going to be out for a really long time. And because it's the holidays, that's why they release these movies at the holidays. People have time to do it. People have time to see it multiple times. You know, it just doesn't normally happen with movies. And, you know, just to quickly bring in a movie that the three of us love as a comparison, just in terms of movie trends from a financial standpoint, before the call, me and Matt and Gabriel were talking about Creed, which we love. Gabriel and I saw it last night. He hadn't seen it before. I've seen it a bunch of times. My favorite movie of the year. 
But what's great about Creed, and if you're a BizzleCast listener, you know I love BoxOfficeMojo.com and you know tracking the trends money-wise with films. And what's amazing is Creed has been out over a month, and it's still get, you know bringing in one to two million dollars a day, like clockwork. And so it's sneakily, you know, well over a hundred million now on a budget of thirty-five million. You know, with Michael B. Jordan and an aging Stallone, pretty huge success. I often compare the production budget to the returns. You know, like that's the only way to compare it. You can't compare this to Star Wars: The Force Awakens. My point here is that Force Awakens is going to be bringing in millions of dollars a day from around the world um, for at least the next month or two, right, Matt? I mean, what, what, when does this tail off? I don't know about two months. That is very, very rare for any theatrical run these days. I would say it is probably going to be around through the end of January because January is usually considered a kind of garbage month for movies. And I think, you know, usually you get, I remember this past January, there was I Frankenstein where Frankenstein fights angels for no apparent reason. Movies like that, terrible uh, vaguely sci-fi or fantasy films that that studios know are going to suck and they just push them out in January. I think Star Wars is going to stay in theaters through all of January and just blow out that all of those bad films. Uh, and so I think it's going to stick around for another month, which I think will be more than long enough for it to beat Avatar for biggest box office worldwide of all time. Um, I think it's, I mean, it might do that by the middle of January, honestly. Because um, China is going to bring in a lot of money. Sure. Um, yeah, if I could just jump in real quick. Um, so if you look at the schedule for for uh, next year's film, uh, you have The Revenant coming out wide on January 8th. Right. But even that, it will do okay money-wise. It's not going to make a ton of money. Yeah. It, nothing rated R makes money at this point. Uh, and it's you know, a the- weird-looking film. I mean, I know a little bit about what it's about. It, it's not a story that I think a lot of Americans know. It's kind of a only semi-known kind of trapper from the sure you know it's sort of yeah like lost of the mohicans a little bit i think is the idea it's a star powered thing you know it's yeah. see leonardo dicaprio in a movie you know right although they're giving dual billing to uh to your man hardy tom, tom hardy, hardy. Yeah. yeah but anyways just really quickly to wrap this up i mean the next like big kids movie is kung fu panda 3 at the end of january january 29th and then You've got Deadpool on February twelfth, and other than that, there's not a whole lot going on. I'm a, I'm excited about Kung Fu Panda three. I got to be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I Kung Fu Panda three is going to do pretty well. Deadpool is rated R, and like you just said, rated R movies tend not to do as well. And it's still a a kind a semi obscure comic character. Um, I I don't think it's re- going to be the biggest box office for comic movies in 2016 when you sure. look at the other stuff coming out so all right so maybe we'll get back to the economics of all this later because <laughs> it is really fascinating and this actually is a pretty good lead into what i wanted to talk about which is that you know general audiences are loving this movie as much or more than hardcore star wars fans and this would be a great place to start our kind of analysis of the movie i don't know like from one to ten I would put myself at this point like at a six in terms of Star Wars. Now, if you ta- asked me this 10, 20 years ago, I would have said like nine, but I'd say I'm like at a six to six, to, uh, six or seven, I would say. Wait, wait, Matt, where would you be in terms of like Star Wars, like, you know, like being, being your thing? 
Yeah, I'd say probably somewhere where you are six, maybe seven. Um, Gabriel, you feel the same way? Man, uh, probably around a five. Yeah, like like a five. I mean, uh, all right. Well, the the bottom line is we're all above normal, um, <laughs> or whatever you want to say. You know, we're more Star Wars fans than the average. We're not super ridiculously hyper nerds, but no, I don't know, guys. That three that three hour podcast, you guys. Were- yeah, I'm a hyper nerd, just not a Star Wars hyper nerd. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and I want to get to that point later, um, actually. But uh, so yeah, but we do love Star Wars. We've all been anticipating. I got to talk on the podcast specifically with Gabriel leading up to it when we were watching the trailers. Matt and I sort of talked about it in more general terms, comparing it to Star Trek and you know sort of the strengths and weaknesses of each of those universes, which J.J. Abrams now owns both of it's pretty ridiculous and uh you know but just to get going i'm gonna let gabriel go first on this one because we talked about it last night and uh, you had some questions for me because you had only seen it once and i've seen it a bunch of times and i tried to answer the questions as best i could part of the strengths and weaknesses of the movie are how many balls are in the air um it's not clear which ones they meant to resolve or not but gabriel overall impressions I know it was a weird viewing experience for you for the <laughs> to see it for the first time, but what what are your general impressions of Star Wars: The Force Awakens? I mean, the segue off off balls in the air. I was kind of missing that that training moment and how uh, the Force kind of became like this this thing that just became so uh, instantaneous and like it wasn't something that had to be you know worked to obtain proficiency in. It wasn't something um, that was probably like my my biggest criticism, but overall as a film and it it achieved what I felt it it wanted to like it was sure. successful on what it wanted what it set out to do. Well, and remember, just to interrupt you real quick, Gabriel, this is just general thoughts. We'll get to nitpicks oh, right, later right, right. on. Yeah, general thoughts. Uh, I enjoyed it. You know, just um, characters, dialogue, visuals. Um, the nostalgia factor was there. It didn't, you know, uh, didn't beat me over the head with it, but it was just enough for the most part. So, yeah, I left the theater. I left the theater hype. I wanted to bring some of that, like, fanboy energy, even, you know, a little taste of it to to Ghana since it wasn't, like, something that was taking place. You know, I, I posted a picture of myself, like, holding a, a broom as a, as a lightsaber in front of the in front of the. Uh, big poster so yeah i mean it, it, any movie that gets me to you know make a fool out of myself in a public spectacle you know i i have to tip my hat too so it, it i believe it was a it, it wasn't a an achievement you know of, of what it set out to do and yeah all right cool uh matt goisman thoughts about a force awakens general impressions well the months the weeks leading up to the film the thought i had over and over and over again was just don't suck. Please don't suck as a film because the prequels were such a disappointment. And at least the first one, people saw the previews for Phantom Menace and got excited. And then they saw it and yep. were in most cases, vastly disappointed. But this not only did it not suck, it was a very, very enjoyable experience. It, it was the new characters were interesting. And I liked that they are the focus of this movie, that it's not, the continuing adventures of the original film people because they're all old and they just look like actors now. They don't look like their characters anymore, and that's totally fine. Uh, it was exciting. It was well done. It had a 
a good sense of energy to it. You know, I liked all the moving camera work and, you know, that's very JJ Abrams, but I liked the moving cameras and the sense of speed and frenetic energy, um, as opposed to the prequels, which were very, very static in their framing and action shots. I enjoyed it and I want to see more of Kylo Ren and Ray and Finn and Poe. I want to know what happens to these guys. And I think that's ultimately how you judge if a, a film is successful or not is whether or not you leave the movie wanting more. Yeah, and I want to get we'll get back to the filming with JJ Abrams. I thought he was actually a little restrained by his standards, which made sense because it's Star Wars, you can't go totally crazy for 120 minutes. Yeah, there was only uh, one one lens flare that I counted. <laughs> yeah, he totally he he dialed back the lens flares, but it wasn't nearly as kinetic uh, as a Star Trek reboot. No, but you still have standpoint. running down, you know, hallways and the cameras following the people. I agree there was a kind of a deft touch taken in a lot of respects with this film, you know, just enough, not too much in many, many different respects, but there was certainly a fair amount of energy I thought in how it was shot. Yeah. So I want to go back, Matt, to the point you made that made me belly laugh a couple minutes ago about just please don't suck. And the reason I was laughing is because I listened to a bunch of nerd podcasts, including some devoted only to Star Wars. Now, for the Star Wars ones, I'll only listen when it's like major news or like the movie actually comes out. I've been listening to all their various reviews. And the nerds tend to be very uh, positive about this movie overall, but they had almost the exact same reaction as you and me across the board, which is the first viewing is so difficult for something like this because we have so many expectations. You know, there's no way it's going to be as good as what we've built up in our heads. You can be, you know, the most realistic, pragmatic person, but when you're talking about your childhood, you just don't have objectivity. And so there was really a sense of relief in these podcasts and you know some of them did a review after their first viewing like i did and then they came back like a week later after they'd seen it three four times in another review and uh, their response uh maybe this is where i'll jump in there you know the the nerd reaction on multiple viewings that i've heard is very similar to mine which was that I liked but did not love it the first viewing. I'm not saying I love it now, but I definitely liked it way better on subsequent viewings. I mean, the jump between my first and second viewing was huge because you're like, okay, I know the plot now. I know which spoilers occurred and which ones never took place. I don't have to worry about that. I'm just going to focus on the characters and the filming and the, and the humor, which to me, you know, the characters and the humor absolutely make this movie, which is why you needed Harrison Ford in such a big role. I was not expecting, but uh, just to wrap up my last thought, and then we'll, we'll dive into the movie, you know, a lot of these podcasts, and I won't listen to these podcasts also because some of them will do spoilers uh, leading up to the movie, but they'll warn you, this is a spoiler podcast, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't listen to them. But even the people who had, you know, known many or all of the spoilers really ended up liking it after that first viewing, you know, because whether you're, you're being spoiled or not, like I said, you've got those expectations, you've got those childhood memories, and um, I guess, Matt, I'll throw it back to you real quick, um, and you guys can start getting more specific if you want, but we talked a little bit about, you know, Star Wars in our childhood. <laughs> Were you getting flashes when you're watching the movie, like, this is like that, or I know we talked about, and we will talk more about maybe this being too close to a new hope in a lot of ways but like did you have that giddy feeling or you were just sort of anxious the whole time anxious the whole time hoping that they wouldn't screw it up 
Well, I think what you have with nerds, you have the giddiness of childhood, and then you have the almost trauma of watching the prequels as adults and knowing that the wrong vision and the wrong approach to these films can produce very, very bad, unenjoyable movie-going experiences. I don't know that I, I felt giddy at any point seeing it. There was certainly a sense of relief. There was a sense of excitement. I don't think because I was watching a good Star Wars movie, I think I was just excited because I was watching an exciting movie. I liked the fight scenes, and I liked the way it was shot, and I liked uh, you know, the way it was paced, and I got into it, just the same as I got into Mad Max or The Avengers or any film that's got a fair amount of action or the Abrams, the first Star, Star Trek reboot movie. You know, Any film that executes its action scenes well will make you feel excited, and I certainly uh, enjoyed that. Now, I enjoyed the little throwbacks the little easter eggs of old star wars things i like when he picks up the training droid when finn does in the falcon um you know some of the scenes were very obvious throwbacks to the original um the confrontation on the bridge which we'll get to i'm sure the the fact that it's another machine that destroys planets you know that's all very intentional and it might be one of the film's bigger problems um but it was very enjoyable, not because I was a Star Wars fan as a kid, but because I like seeing science fiction action movies, and this was a well-done one of those. Absolutely. Gabriel, what about you? Did you, I mean, were you, like, nervous going in? Um, did it grab you right away? Uh, how, what was, like, the sort of the psychological experience of this whole thing? I was I was confident going, going in. Just, you know, I, I knew J.J. Abrams is, you know, a capable director, and just... I knew it would be like a redemption of the of the prequels. Like I, it was an opportunity to get those things, you know, behind us. I was very excited about that. And on a personal level, like my my wife is very in very spiritual and she's a devout Buddhist and doesn't like violent movies. So and she had never seen a Star Wars. Never she has seen so yeah. So maybe I'm even that I would marry a person who's never seen Star Wars. Maybe I should be moved down on the <laughs> On the fandom list, like I got to be like a two or a three, because you know. Yeah. Well, if you if you if you ever listen to my commentary on the movie Her with uh, my buddy Aaron, uh, who also went to Wesleyan with me and Matt, we are we're not argue. We debate extensively opposites attract versus you know marrying someone similar to you. So, uh, you know, we, our conclusion was that most people it's opposites attract. So maybe you know it's not the worst thing. She doesn't love Star Wars. You know, maybe if she loves Star Wars, even be into her. Sorry, that was a weird sidebar. All right, so we thank Gabriel for joining us. We're going to move on with the conversation. So, Matt, let's start getting in to the real meat here. And I, I you know, I'm sort of an optimistic guy. I, I think we should probably start with the things that we liked. There were a lot for me, but uh, maybe we'll do it sort of back and forth style. So I, I will uh, throw the ball to you first. What did you love about this movie? I really loved the new characters. I want to see more of Ray. I want to see more of Finn. I really don't quite know what they're going to do with Poe. Um, I can't quite figure out yet if he and Finn and Ray are the new, uh, I guess the word would be Troika, you know, the new three leads, the same way you had Han, Luke, and Leia in the originals, or if. Poe is more like one of those pilot friends of Luke's who has like one name, like I can't remember his name, it's like Dax or Biggs or something. Well, there's there's Dax, there's Wedge. Yeah, there's Wedge, Antilles, yeah. yeah. 
I uh, no idea if he's going to be one of those guys or if he's meant to be more of a main character. But Oscar Isaac is a terrific actor, so I like him. I think Kylo Ren is actually on an arc in a way that Darth Vader in the original movies never was, and I find that interesting. Um, I think we're going to see this bad guy actually changing over three films, which uh, would be nice because... Uh, we can talk about Kylo Ren a little more in depth at some point, but I thought he was a very different kind of bad guy than Vader, and I liked that because I didn't want to see Darth Vader light. Yeah, um, L-I-T-E. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, looks like we have Gabriel back on the feed. Gabriel, are you there? Yeah, I have returned. Okay, yeah. cool. Welcome back. <laughs> All right, so we got Gabriel back on here, and... Uh, Matt just brought up uh, Kylo Ren, um, played by Adam Driver, one of the, I guess, the big four. Uh, is that the official designation uh, for Poe, uh, Ray, Finn, and, uh, and Kylo Ren? They seem to be the four that we know are going to probably be in all the movies. Um, I loved Adam Driver, both in the mask and out of it. I-, I was more excited than most people. Some people really dislike him. I don't know why. I think he's great. He's funny, too, in real life. So, you know, it's an interesting move. You know, people who are like, oh, he doesn't look like Han and Leia, I really could care less about that. But the the bigger thing was, and this was pointed out by many people on podcasts I listen to, is that with Luke, what's Luke afraid of? What's Luke's afraid that the dark side's going to take him, right? What's Kylo Ren afraid of? He's afraid the light side's going to take him. I mean, it's an exact reversal, you know? He he is tempted by the light side, and he talks about it almost exactly the way, both in tone and the words themselves, that, you know, the Jedi talk about the dark side. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and he's sloppy, he made bad decisions, he's a horrible temper, he's obviously very powerful, but I was amazed how many people online, uh, Kylo is, is their favorite character. Now, in Star Wars, it's not that surprising, because Darth Vader is a lot of people's favorite character from the uh, original trilogy. People like a good Star Wars bad guy. Um, I, I, you know, the scene with Kylo and Han, I want to say for later, because that's, you know, probably the best dramatic scene of the movie by far uh, for me, but, you know, I, I was in on Kylo Ren in the trailers, and, and uh, it continued into the movie, and the thing is, by the time he takes off his mask, I know what Adam Driver looks like, but, you know, he's been so evil and just weird the whole time, he takes it off, and it was still shocking, even though I'd seen his face before uh gabriel uh were you uh were you in on the knights of ren are you a knight of ren not quite <laughs> when he when the mask came off i could have gone with a little bit more of that 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 mystery that that kind of sense of uh he lost all of his menace like it wasn't as menacing once the once the mask came on and then i don't know he just he just came off as a little bit of a a little bit of a weak a villain like towards the end he was bested by um someone who was you know pretty pretty new to the force he um and it was i can appreciate that you know it gave him more depth and it was he's a different character than than darth vader but just in terms of having that feeling of 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 like more dread or really being afraid for the characters i think just some of it for, for the for the protagonist for I think it lost a little bit that he was just too vulnerable and too weak at times. But even before that, when when doing the the mind control and the the mind reading part, where he's, you know, 
really just humiliated, just like outright humiliated by, you know, this uh, a girl who doesn't even know she has the ability, you know. So eh, it was, yeah, yeah, it was just we didn't see that kind of vulnerability from from Darth Vader until the till the end of the movie, and that was the end of three three movies. Really, don't see that kind of vulnerability in in our villains until. Yeah, like much, much more to the end of of the of their of their arc. Or, I mean, I was thinking about Loki. You know, Loki and being tossed around by by the Hulk in that moment. But you know, you are Loki has already been established as a as a badass for you know the, the one solo Thor movie, and then that didn't happen until like the very end of, of the Avengers. But this is it. Just seemed like a little bit um, a little bit too early, and then it continued. It wasn't just like it, there was that moment, but there was. You know, he he really didn't return to his mask. He didn't put the mask on for the remainder of the film. You know, the the vulnerability he showed with Han was was good. It gave depth to the character, but he didn't return. Like if he had put the mask back on, like all right now, you know, I've done what I had to do. I'm gonna, you know, I'm refocused to the dark side, and you know that. And it, there was there was a taste of it where you know like the pounding of his chest. I love that. That was that was good. It was good, but then it it just it, it it just wasn't enough because eventually he was he was bested. Matt, thumbs up, thumbs down on Kylo Ren. Thumbs up. Um, can I elaborate a bit on that? Yes, please do. All right. So to what Gabriel was saying um, about how it's problematic that he was bested by somebody who is barely understands what the Force is, let alone knows how to use it. I love that. Um, here's why. So Luke meets Vader very early on in the first Star Wars movie. I don't know what the time is, but it's it seemed it felt to me like the first third of the film. And then he spends the next two and a half movies training to fight a character who is basically unchanged from that moment through to the final fight scene. Vader doesn't get more powerful. Luke just you know he gets his ass kicked by vader and empire i mean barely gets out of there alive you know and it really you could argue at the end of empire that luke when he falls through that shaft is just wants to die that he has maybe an idea maybe somebody will save him but if they don't dying by his own hand is going to be better than either turning to the dark side or letting his father who just beat the crap out of him kill him yeah i mean i'm with you i will say this too again you know, people tend to romanticize the original trilogy. And right. if you watched it now for the first time and you're watching Return of the Jedi and you see Darth Vader throw Luke over the side, it's it's pretty hard to accept. You mean the Emperor? Throw the Emperor over the side? Um, right, right. Sorry. Vader throwing the Emperor over the side because of Luke is a total deus ex machina. Yeah. And it is, is actually not sold as well as Ray's power. So I, I don't really understand that. Yes, they are somewhat sudden. Change over to the to the light. So there was a rejection of the dark side in that moment when he or it's just not. It doesn't feel earned. I agree with yeah. Jesse. And what I like about them introducing the emperor right at the end there at Jedi is finally Luke has trained to the point where he's strong enough to beat Vader. He does beat him. He still doesn't give in. And then the emperor says, "Okay, fine. But guess what? I'm even more powerful than Vader. I have lightning powers. I am going to wreck your ass." And you had no idea that was coming because you barely know I exist. My point was, Kylo Ren, I think, is going to learn from this experience of getting 
beaten by somebody who barely knows how to use the force, of getting scarred and physically injured by somebody who barely knows how to use the force. You know, he comes off as very vain. And so to have that huge bloody scar up his face, I think is going to change him. I think we are going to see him become more powerful, scarier, more vicious in the next two or three movies. And that's interesting because then you have a bad guy and a good guy both training to become more powerful in movie two and movie three. Um, and that's going to make their subsequent conflicts more interesting, I think. I also think, unlike the prequels and the originals in which the first movie is almost a standalone film and then the next two are more or less two-parters of one story that takes place over a much shorter period of time, you know, Star Wars and then it's Empire and Jedi, Phantom Menace, and then it's Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones. And I actually just confused the order because those movies are so forgettable. Here, I think you have a really true trilogy where everything is only set up in this first film. It's not resolved. And that's very intentional that each film parses out the uh, division of development, I guess you'd say, a little bit more evenly. So this is not meant to be a standalone film the way Star Wars was meant to be a standalone film because Lucas didn't know if he'd be able to make the next two. And Phantom Menace turned out to be, I have no idea if Lucas intended it that way or not because it was a, a badly thought out film. I, 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 although I would argue that th- this movie could be seen as a standalone film. It's clearly setting up a lot of things. There are a lot of questions that are left unanswered intentionally sure. in this that aren't left unanswered in uh, Star Wars. You know, you find out later, you know, what Vader's relationship to Luke is in reality. Do they fall in love, Han and Leia? But Han's character goes through most of the development that he's going to go through in that first film. He goes from selfish rogue killer. I mean, he shoots Greedo first, no matter what anybody says to the contrary, to at the end being courageous, willing to sacrifice himself, throwing himself back into a conflict that he doesn't have a personal stake in. Everything that happens in Empire and Jedi is just gravy after that. That's the real moment of character arc is wrapped up in the first one. Um, There are tons of questions at the end of Force Awakens that I think are clearly meant for us to ask, but really not know the answer to. Most notably, who is Rey? Where, who are her parents? You know, is Finn, do his parents matter? They talk about them a little. You know, who is Poe? I mean, he gets a lot of lines for a character who is very, very poorly fleshed out. Yeah, and then yeah. And Luke, Luke was entirely saved for the next movie as well. Just And I, I do disagree with Matt on the point... Luke Luke looked pretty badass just standing there, and he I don't know whether it's just because Mark Hamill like has been more in more comedic roles or really hasn't has been over hasn't been ex, as exposed as Harrison Ford has over the years. But to see him again in that role did it was a different vibe than he looked or Carrie Fisher. He looked more like Luke than I thought Han so- uh, Harrison Ford looked like Han Solo. When you see Harrison Ford, or when I saw him, I just thought, that's old Harrison Ford. When I saw bearded uh, Mark Hamill, I thought, okay, that might be Luke Skywalker. Um, and a quick shout-out, uh, Mark Hamill is a recurring character on the Flash TV show, and if you don't watch that show, he is hilarious. He's the trickster, which is a role he had on the, the one season of the Flash show that was on in 1990. It's a great show. The The new Flash show is really great if you like comics. It's really funny. He is 
awesome. He is so cool. So he check that out. He's in two episodes. Uh, find him on Netflix or something. They're really, really funny and good. So quick shout out. Yeah. I did not know that. A couple, couple episodes of The Flash. Really good. Yeah, I was going to say, I keep running into people's names that are either on Flash or Arrow, so I guess they're doing something right on the, in those uh, on those TV shows. But anyways, yeah, I mean, you know, it how, how they look now, I mean, Carrie Fisher looks a lot older too, but who cares? You can still tell she's Princess Leia. We'll get back to her. I, I really want to talk about Leia. We're going to jump into Rey. We've been teasing it, but just to wrap up Kylo Ren, because I didn't really get to finish my point, which is that... You know, he's he's the inverse of Vader in some ways, like I was saying, because, you know, it, he's having trouble resisting the, the light side, whereas, you know, Vader, it's it's the dark, or at least Anakin Skywalker. And to, to wrap up my, my very positive review of Kylo Ren and Adam Driver, when he takes that helmet off and you see the long, slum, you know, wavy brown hair, and then he starts actually acting like a real actor, I'm going, God... Why couldn't they have done this for Anakin Skywalker? I mean, you know, I'm not saying Adam Driver's an Academy Award winner, but, you know, he he's so much more compelling in his few minutes with his mask off in Force Awakens than Hayden Christensen is in any moment of Episodes 2 or 3. I was like, this is what Anakin Skywalker should have been like. Um, I, that was just a thought I had. Um, so anything else on, on Kylo, or should we jump into the, the other big uh, big ones? I don't know if this, this goes into just the broader uh, inconsistencies between the original trilogy and The Force Awakens, but his obsession with Darth Vader and wanting to follow in his footsteps... But does he not know that uh, Darth Vader eventually rejected the dark side and was kind of redeemed at the, was redeemed at the end, made an appearance at the, as a Force ghost? Like, is this like our our Force ghosts no more? Well, we don't know what people know. That's the part of the the thing with this movie. That's part of the you know issue with this movie is that. You know, the, I talked about this with Matt. It's the transfer of information problem. You know, Luke's been gone for like 20 years at most, and Ray is like, he's a myth. He's a legend, you know? And like, the, the Force, really? It exists? Even though we knew it was manifested like 30 years earlier? It, we don't know what people know about Vader. You know, it's possible people just think Luke killed Vader, which is technically untrue, but from a you know pragmatic standpoint, did. He took care of Vader. You know, he, he he might not know. Of course, he also could be in denial, which would fit Kylo Ren's character to just be like, "This is all Luke Skywalker's fault. Like he corrupted you. Whatever. I'm gonna finish what you started." I don't know. Those are some thoughts I had. J.J. Abrams has talked about this a little bit, and I kind of buy this that he knows uh, Kylo Ren knows exactly what happened to Vader, but it's a different perspective on what happened. And in Kylo Ren's mind. Vader gave in to weakness right at the end. That it wasn't that he turned to the light, it's that he was seduced by the light and it cost him his life. It cost him a chance to be, you know, godlike in power, which is clearly what Kylo Ren kind of wants. He believes he can be. He can be more powerful than anybody else ever as long as he is true to the dark side. And it cost him a chance to rule the galaxy. Uh, you know, he thinks Vader died because he gave in to weakness, not because he realized the light was better or he turned away from the dark. He thinks turning from the dark side is the wrong thing to do. You see that in the in the scene with Han, where he says, I know what I have to do, but I'm scared. Can you help me? And Han says, of course. And then 
it's okay to talk about spoilers? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said that at the beginning. Okay, so then he shoves his, his lightsaber through Han's chest, which right before that happened, I looked at my brother who I saw with, and I made a sound because I knew he was just going to unsheath the lightsaber right through his chest. He died exactly how I knew he was going to. You know, he thinks that what's holding him back is love, is family, is compassion, is mercy. You know, the things that caused Vader's death are the positive aspects of his personality, not the darkness. He thinks the darkness is the path to salvation. You know, he is an acolyte of the dark side. That's what makes his character as Jesse pointed out, a uh, an inverse of young Anakin. And they do look a little bit alike. I really think the long hair is supposed to recall how Hayden Christensen looked in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Now, do you think he attributes him being uh, losing the, the mind tug of war with Rey to that weakness that she, maybe she picked up on the, the moral conflict that he was going through? And I mean, I guess she kind of, you know, called him out on it. Like you're afraid you won't live up to Vader and those issues. Is that the reason why he maybe he he was driven to kill to kill Han and attempt to really go all out and embrace the, the dark side? Yeah, but I don't know if that's necessarily directly because he failed to to read Ray's mind. I think his encounters with Ray is simply going to teach him. I need to get stronger. I am still weak for any number of different reasons. It, maybe it's because I felt I still felt compassion or, or not. Who knows? But I certainly think that experience of Ray kicking his ass twice, both with the mental thing and then fucking him up, you know, scarring him with a lightsaber she barely knows how to use um, is certainly going to motivate him to go even deeper into the dark side, to, to even strip away more of the parts of his personality he thinks didn't make him weak. Yeah. Yeah, it's and great. maybe he it, keeps the mask on more now that he looks actually physically messed up. You know, no, I disagree. I think he's going to not keep the mask so that he's going to have a badass scar on his right cheek where Daisy Ridley slashed him. Unless he's ashamed of it, you know. There's um, but he he's so, you know he so consciously removed the mask twice yeah. in two of the most important parts of the movie. You can only do that so many times. Um, the whole notion was he's imitating Darth Vader. That's the only reason for the mask, as far as we can tell. But I love the idea of being seduced to the light. Now, you know, we don't have to get into, um, you know, like huge moral philosophical discussion here. But in some ways, he's worse than Vader because, you know, Anakin was seduced by the dark side. But he, you know, tr- well, Hayden Christensen tried to sell that he he wanted to be a good guy and just couldn't resist palpatine or whatever kylo ren is way more self-aware that's what makes him scarier he is aware that he's in the dark side and he wants to be there and and he he's going to do everything he can to to purge um the light side elements from it's almost like you know like old school like self-flagellation you know Mm -hmm. you know beating the shit out of yourself to get the get the devil out of you right like that whole thing um i i I don't know i I thought he was great um but uh i want to keep moving here one last thing yeah it also makes him essentially a neo-nazi or in, in certain regards where in the in the prequels the the dark side, the Sith forces were, you know, were, were rumored as if they didn't didn't even exist. You didn't really have an expectation of what would happen if the Sith took over. But 
you know, you have hindsight in the, in Force Awakens that wow, the, the dark side took over. They were behind the Empire. Planets were blown up. Genocide took place. And to want to join that, I mean, what? I don't know. It, I guess it is an indictment on just how power hungry he is. But it's 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 hard. It's hard to relate to. Sure, but that would actually be in line with the original films. The The original films came out, and a lot of people have talked about this, that they came out at a time when we were really starting to question as a society if good guys and bad guys exist because we were still reeling from Vietnam. Right. Uh, and so these movies go back to where the, the bad guys are literally black and white, and it's very much supposed to recall World War II when you had the the good guys and you add the Nazis, you know, and the music for the empire are imperial marches. And it's very, you know, Wagner is, who was very much into kind of Aryan philosophy and, and Nazism uh, plays up heavily into John Williams score for some of those characters. So if Kylo Ren is a neo-Nazi and Gabriel, I, I certainly think there are a lot of points to that to, I think you're accurate there. Um, it would certainly be in line with what the original films were trying to do, uh, you know, which is create a world where the bad guys and good guys are very clearly delineated. And anybody who would want to be a bad guy, you know, on purpose after that must have a really, really problematic personality. Okay, very good. So, um, did some Kylo Ren. Uh, Gabriel, why don't you uh, pick another character and, and jump in? <laughs> Let's see. Let's go. Uh, let's go with our boy uh, Finn. Oh, really quickly, by the way. I'm sorry. Um, this just occurred to me. Uh, you guys might know this that the, that the Imperial March or whatever they call it, the Darth Vader theme is based almost directly on the Chopin uh, piece. I believe it's in his sonatas. It's one of his more famous pieces. So you know, Williams is ripping off more than just Wagner. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know a ton about Wagner's music because I'm Jewish and no. I don't listen to Nazi music very well, often. Well, that's the thing is John Williams is just you know forget the specific themes john williams is openly a wagnerian composer and the problem mm -hmm. is williams set the standard for what blockbuster hollywood movies should sound like right and, and it all goes back to wagner you know i mean he was a total nazi but he was also a total genius when it yep. came to it, it's almost like it's like it's like the pop music version of orchestral music, you know, mm -hmm. um, th that they use in the movies. I mean, just listen to any Hans Zimmer soundtrack too; it's the same idea, like in Gladiator. Um, right. But anyway, sorry to cut you off, Gabriel. Um, jump on in with who? Oh, I'm gonna Finn. I don't know. Oh. If you wanted to go right to Ray or? No, no, no. Go for, go for Finn. Ray Ray's the one I'm least concerned with getting to because I think we can universally agree that she kicked fucking ass, right? I mean, I mean, she's pretty awesome. So yeah, so go 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 for Finn. Um, enjoyed the character. Didn't quite have the, a, a a complex of an arc as I would have hoped for. Maybe because you know certain things were left out in his reprogramming or how he was programmed. What really drove him to kind of defect. But his character throughout the movie brought a lot of energy. Really funny, you know his 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 chemistry with the other characters, you know, just really made the movie made the movie pop. Harrison Ford, just every every character, he he has such a great ke uh, chemistry with, you know. Now, like fan fiction or him and Poe in a in a romantic could be in a romantic relationship, you know how how he relates with with Ray, and it's it's rare that you could have a character that 
that melds so well with every other character in the movie. Well, and if I could just interrupt you really quickly, Gabriel, the other brilliant thing about Finn is he's the audience character, and usually the audience character is a secondary character, or at least a secondary lead. So to have one of your two or three leads be the audience character, or at least that's how I felt, like we're seeing it through Finn's eyes, was it's so hard to pull off from a writing execution standpoint. I liked Finn. Um, I thought there were maybe a, a few too many shots, rather, of... Um him making weird faces and that's like the entirety of the shot he felt to me like a character who had a little bit less to do than some of the other characters on screen and i i get the feeling you know like i said that some of these characters are intentionally not fully fleshed out now because they have arcs that are meant to be built over three films so i think we're gonna learn more about who finn is and see him take on a more direct leadership role but he very much, to me, felt like he was playing second fiddle to all the other characters. All right, I, I gotta, I gotta jump in, man. I'm sorry, I gotta defend my boy Finn here. I, I freaking loved Finn, and f- for a number of reasons. One was what Gabriel said about him inter- being the one interacting with all the other characters, and he has chemistry with everybody. That I certainly agree with. Yeah, but but my main thing is, and this is you know a split among Star Wars fans. I mean, everyone loved John Boyega as an actor. He's the most un-Star Wars main character in a Star Wars movie ever. He's so naturalistic. He talked like you know a young black dude. Let's be honest, right? I mean, and I think that was JJ's way of saying we're moving to a new generation where we can have naturalistic acting or or you know have poe cracking like very like ironic jokes that you would never normally hear in a star wars property i think you know they had to make him really lovable in order to pull that off i've heard a few people say oh this line sounds a little too you know real world or blah 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 blah. yeah That, that just is racist to me whatever i won't even go there I have had that thought, but I had that thought not just about Finn. I had that that thought about Poe when he's getting interrogated, and all of a sudden he tells Kylo Ren, so do you start talking now or do I? Like, when (laughs) you insert dialogue and conversation patterns that that work now in the 21st century in America, and you try to make it seem like people in a galaxy far, far away, way in the distant past or whatever talk that way as well – that t- takes me out of the fantasy a little bit. Well, hold um, on. Let me, let me push back I, on this, I don't this, believe though. I'm being racist by, by thinking that. No, uh, no, no, no. The, 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 my racist comment had nothing to do with, with what you just said. Um, I, I won't get into it. Uh, you know, that's the, the, the minority about, you know, him and then he's a white woman, that whole thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have no doubt believing there's plenty of racism to be found on no, the no. internet regarding yeah. Star Wars reviews. Cause... That's, that's the, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that's all I was getting to. Just, but, but, you know, for me, I, I want to push back on this because we talked a lot about Star Trek and we talked a decent amount about the Star Trek reboot. Right. And the way that the new Star Trek crew talks is completely unlike the old Star Trek. And I had no problem with it. I don't think you had a problem with it. Is it just because you know we hold star wars up to like on such a pedestal that we only want a tiny amount of change really from one film to the next no i i think it's because the star trek films were more consistent in that all of the characters talk a little bit closer to how real people in real life talk where uh, with the exception of spock you know zachary kinto that's pretty much how leonard nimoy talks as well cuz you really i mean you can't have a vulcan talking like a 21st century you know kid from the um, middle upper class suburbs it just wouldn't make any sense my problem with star wars is that 
Ray talks like a Star Wars character talks. Leia talks like a Star Wars character talks. Kylo Ren talks like a Star Wars character talks. It's just Finn and sometimes, but not always, Poe that talk that way. And that it makes the characters not clash. It's like they they rub against the surface of the film a little bit. They don't feel like they're quite integrated when they say lines that don't feel like anybody in the galaxy talks that way. Yeah, I, I just really quickly... I... In principle, on paper, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I was laughing my ass off. And the thing is, man, this is why you got to do a repeat viewing, you know, because all of these issues or some of these issues will fall away when when you can go back and just take it for what it is. The thing is, is Finn, yes, on paper should take you out of the movie, but he has such great chemistry, so many big laughs. I mean, people were like dying laughing in my various screenings. I was laughing. I love Oscar Isaac. He's one of my favorite, uh, you know, up and coming actors or or whatever. He's come up. Um, When he said that line, that was the first bit of of humor in the whole movie after they slaughtered this whole village. You know, I I really appreciated that. And maybe it's because I'm such a, a, a fan of quippy humor like Joss Whedon and stuff like that um you know the humor actually was a little Whedon-esque in that sense sure Um, a little irreverent I I like that well if anybody would know how to insert jokes into a sci-fi franchise it would be Joss Whedon I like Finn and I want to see more of him I want to see his character fleshed out more I want to learn more about him and see how he grows so I'm not knocking him uh and I'm not saying he at all hurt my enjoyment of the film because he 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 didn't this is one of my slight nitpicky problems with this film. There are a few. It's not perfect. It's probably as good as it could have been, given what J.J. Abrams had to do. Uh, but I thought his character was a little bit wonky in a way that some of the other characters weren't. But still, yeah, funny and extremely enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy him on your your second viewing. I'm curious about that. Gabriel, any... Uh... It, does, it does make you wonder, like the stormtrooper academy that he he came in or whatever kind of indoctrination he went through like what right what, right what exactly were they what kind of community does the stormtroopers have where they are they all jokey jokey amongst themselves or i think he was he was just repressed i think is the idea but i do think there are some clear connections between them because when that one stormtrooper dies and puts a bloody handprint on Finn's face and that's what starts the oh my god what am i doing with my life moment for him it makes it clear that these people have real human connections with each other uh that we just don't ever see because the perspective is always the stormtroopers are bad the jedi and the resistance are good um and it's certainly it's a very humanizing moment uh for a group that up until then was portrayed as either nameless people in the originals or clones so literally, you know, the same person in most cases CGI, completely devoid of any dramatic interest in the prequels. And in fodder, just simply. Yeah. They run around and they die and they kill people. That's it. This movie in the first five minutes establishes these are also people who feel what they do on a, on a deep level. And sometimes it's too much for them. And that I give John Boyega a ton of credit for because I definitely bought why he 
flipped, you know, why he, you know, what oh, broke sure. inside of him. I, I give him a ton of credit for pulling that off. Yeah, and actually, I don't want to dwell on this too much because none of us are into it, but the whole new expanded universe now with the books and the comics and everything. Right. I, I get that information through Star Wars podcasts, and apparently that wasn't his first mission. That was his second mission. They had mm-hmm. to repro- They already had to reprogram him once, and I guess he had such a good soul that the reprogramming just didn't take, and he tried to, you know, be a stormtrooper, and it didn't That's happen. interesting. I talked to my dad about this too, who's a psychologist, and he says this is very common with like severe repression of emotion. You know, if you've been repressing emotions for years and suddenly they come out, you tend to go very manic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for him, I mean, that's just Boyega's personality, but that's the whole point why they casted him that he was suddenly feeling all these feelings and emotions. Well, he said he says to Ray, "No one's ever looked at me the way you looked at me." When when Ray hugs him, no one's commented on that. That was John Boyega's first hug in his entire life. Yeah. Um, he had never been hugged before then, and I loved. Maybe this will be a good bridge to Ray. I love their chemistry, and that's why they work individually and together. I like that it was platonic, but I mean, he's definitely in the friend zone, as Gay point out. But it's you know, it, it could develop to something, or maybe not. But it works either way. I like that they were just buddies and teammates. He was thirsty for for Ray as he was for that water in the one. <laughs> yeah, and I love oh, I love great. the scene when he first meets her. And she's getting attacked by two raiders, and he's going to rescue her, and then he realizes he doesn't have to, as she just beats the crap out of both of them. And then um, beats th- the crap out of him. Yeah, I-, I thought that was a great moment where the film kind of was hinting, we could do something really cliched and misogynistic here of the man having to rescue the girl, but we're not. We're just going to have the girl beat the crap out of everybody around her. I know we're not talking about Ray yet, but I did think they, they went to that well too many times. You can bridge. We, we can talk about both at once. I mean, I think we've wrapped up Finn pretty effectively. At this okay, point. I was just going to say that uh, you know, again, I thought his chemistry with Harrison Ford mm-hmm. uh, and Daisy Ridley and BB-8 um, and Poe and Poe—that's the thing. I bought that they were already best buddies, even though they spent five minutes together. Because Poe is just—this is what's great about Oscar Isaac. He can play such an evil psycho, like an ex machina, mm-hmm. but he also has like a good heart. You can just tell. And, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you, you don't get to be the lead pilot and the most trusted, you know, fighter in the resistance without having a good heart. And he totally got immediately that this guy wanted out. And they don't have to explain to you that Poe probably knows what the First Order is, that these people are stolen from birth or whatever. And so you can't hold them completely culpable for it because it's like Bucky in the Winter Soldier, right? They're constantly mm-hmm. getting reprogrammed and stuff. And so, you know, Poe is just stoked to get out. But I, I love them. That was hilarious. But yeah, I mean, you know, you've got just a couple quick Finn things that will move on, you know, where uh, he's trying to convince Ray that he is in the Resistance. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm in the Resistance. I'm in the Resistance. I am in the Resistance. And she goes, I, I didn't think that's what Resistance people look like. He says, oh, yeah, this is what they look like. Well, some people look different, you know. Um, probably the best, though, was when he reveals to Harrison Ford when they're on the base at the end that he doesn't know how to turn the shield generator off. And and Harrison Ford is like, well, what were you expecting to do? And and Finn just goes, well, why don't we just use the Force? <laughs> and Harrison Ford's like, that's not how the Force works, you know. It's like it was good. the janitor. Like, I wonder if there's like expanded universe, you know, Finn 
Adventures of Finn as a janitor. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's writing fan fiction about Finn the janitor right now as we speak. Oh, I guarantee you some of the children's books that they're putting out have have that in it for sure. Maybe. Um, So, all right. So His chemistry with that robot was great. I mean, the scene where they're arguing about, show me the map. No, don't, you know, don't tell her. That was terrific. Yeah, BB-8's just looking to the right, the left, the right, the left, and then the lighter thumbs up gag is is yeah. got to be the best comedy gag of the year. I mean, you know, for like a two second gag, I, I, man, I just die every time I see it. But that's the thing with with Abrams; he knows how to edit. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that thumbs up thing. You, ho- I know this is a small thing, but you guys know I'm a big film guy. I like dissecting filmmaking, right? You know, the timing and angle on that thumbs up had to be so perfect. John Boyega is looking at nothing, by the way, right? So he's uh, looking that at... That might not be true. That robot was real. Not in every scene, but they did build a BB-8, and it's in the movie and a lot of the films. Okay. So you think they actually ejected the lighter there? Oh, I don't know about that particular oh, okay. thing. But the yeah, robot yeah. they built, you know. Right, right. So, right. It, they they probably had him respond to the, the standing Wait, isn't model. Isn't there a BB-8 that makes appearances at shows and stuff like that? Like a, a working... Yes. I, yeah, that's right, I think. It's got magnets on its head, which let it stay gyroscopically stable or whatnot. But it, that's actually a thing. They built that, which is... I give them a lot of credit because George Lucas never would have had a robot actually built for the prequels. Well, that's true, but he did invent R2 and C3PO. That's true. Uh, also, you know, a classic C3PO uh, entrance, uh, to, you know, when Leia and Han yep. just stand there. And uh, I think I, I don't know if I told you guys this or texted you guys, but you, you guys know that JJ co-wrote this with Lawrence Kasdan. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a third writer, actually. I didn't recognize the person, but they were the two primary writers. And um, I've heard that Kasdan... Was like Obi Wan a little bit to JJ as a writer who hasn't written a ton of movies. JJ wanted even more quippiness, and Kazin kept having to be like, write less, man, write less. And, and they talk specifically about when Han and Leia both first see each other and they just stand there for like 20 seconds staring with all this emotion on their face. JJ wanted dialogue there, and Kazin was like, nope, no dialogue. <laughs> And then, but then you break it up with C three PO, yeah, you know, to, with the humor. So you know, you get that too. You needed to break the tension. Uh, I um, we'll get back to to uh, to Ray. I, I have to get in Carrie Fisher. I love Carrie Fisher. I talk about her all the time. Pr- Princess Leia is still the prototype. I'm not sure anyone has gotten there um from a female lead science fiction perspective there are other badasses like ellen ripley and sarah connor but princess leia uh, again we see she's the political leader she's the military leader she is the um mystical spiritual leader you know i mean people are still calling her princess even though that's not her official title um, she's the, like the moral leader. It's unbelievable how much she has on her shoulders. I totally buy it. I, I just don't know what other female character out there has had that kind of responsibility over such a long period of time. Yeah, has there has there been anything in the lore or to expand the universe about like matriarchy in the in the Star Wars universe? Well, we know that there are, there can be queens and that women can rule. I mean, Queen Amidala. That is a country. That is a planet ruled by. A girl who then becomes a woman, you know, across the films. But in Phantom Menace, she's like 15 years old and she rules and she has economic and military control. You know, it's not some, it's not a figurehead position. She actually has to make decisions 
as a kid. Aren't the queens, this is a quick sidebar, aren't the queens on Naboo elected? Isn't that part of the idea? Because she gives up her queenship. I can't, I can't remember. I, I, it's not a well-formed idea like no. everything else in the prequels, uh, but it is clear that however she becomes the head of the planet, she does have actual power once she is given it. Okay, so l- let's go really quickly to Carrie Fisher because that'll tie in really nicely to Ray, and then we'll see if we have any more time after that. Um, and this will be a good connection with the prequels is one of the many problems with the prequels was that it was so politics-heavy. And in The Phantom Menace, I was actually okay with it. I'm like, oh, we're going to get like a real you know, interesting political story over the trilogy, and then it just gets more and more convoluted, makes less, less sense. And by the time they get to Revenge of the Sith, they really try and pare down the political talk because people just weren't responding to it. And, you know, I've heard um, one of the criticisms of The Force Awakens, I've heard, is that it overreacted to the excess of politics in the prequels. It didn't talk enough, you know, like, what's the connection between the Resistance and the Republic? Like, why... Why doesn't the Republic have an army? You know, like, why are they relying on the Resistance? This is destruction of the planet by the 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 Star Killer base with yeah right with spending very little time setting up like why we should care about the planet. I thought that was Coruscant when I saw it. Yeah, it's not clear what planet it is. They mentioned something about the fleet, but. That doesn't make sense because unless the fleet are all on the planets, they would still... No, you could see them blow up. You, when they when the planets blow up, if you look, you could see like dozens of ships all get blown up. Oh, I guess maybe I just missed that. Oh, um, uh, yeah. yeah. No, you can see it's it. a half-formed idea. It's one of the flaws in the film. You kind of hope the next one is going to deal a little bit more with the political fallout of this action. I mean, it, it happens pretty quickly that they just turn on this base and seemingly wipe out the Galactic Federation in about five minutes. It, that, that moment is a little bit rushed. I'm okay with stripping out the politics, though. I kind of feel like getting away from that a little bit to just focus on the characters at the beginning to make you excited about the characters. And then you start to bring in the world a little bit more in the later movies. We learn a lot more in the original films about galactic policy and how the galaxy works in the second two films. In Star Wars, the original, there is one line about the Senate's been deposed, and then there's like one or two lines about how the the, the universe works when Obi-Wan and Luke are talking, and that's basically it. It's like three or four sentences tops, and that's enough for the first movie. Then in the Re- Empire and Jedi, you get a lot more of that, and I'm hoping that's the same thing they're going to do in uh, the next two Star Wars films. So do you, you guys want to know really quickly why these things are as they are politically? I'll give you a 90-second rundown. And again, this is from all the books and stuff, which I haven't read, but I do hear about, which is that following the destruction of the Death Star, the remaining Imperial forces made basically a non-aggression pact with the New Republic. And within a couple decades, or yeah, I guess a couple decades, uh, Mon Mothma, you know who she is? No. Mon Mothma is the... the uh, slightly older lady in Return of the Jedi who's giving the instructions. What was oh, that? yeah. Mon Mothma. Yeah. Like, she, she's actually Leia's mentor. That's why Leia's not the one giving instructions at the end of Return of the Jedi. Anyways, Mon Mothma at that point is sort of the political leader. And then you got Admiral Akbar. Luckily, he, we got back. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, so Mon Mothma wants to demilitarize 
the, the New Republic because she thinks the threat's over, and Leia doesn't. And so they basically pare back the New Republic's military forces by like 90% or something like that. And so Leia, thinking and knowing that the war is not over yet, builds up her own forces. Now, they did have a, a, an alliance with the New Republic. It wasn't like the Resistance were renegades all the way, but that's that's part of the reason, you know, that they could, e- even taking out a solar system, you'd say, well, the Republic has to have more fleet somewhere, right? But that the problem is that like that was the fleet. It was 10% of what it used to be, and, and that's why Leia had to save the day again, which I loved. Uh, so really quickly about uh, Carrie Fisher, or, you know, with regards to Han Solo, or just in general. Matt, you want to jump in? I liked her. I don't know if there's going to be more to what she has to do in the next couple of movies. They used her a lot more sparingly than they used Han. I, I think that was the right decision. Um, I, both Han and Leia's stories are done. They don't need to do anything else in these new movies. They finished their stories in the originals. So it was great to see Carrie Fisher again. I thought she certainly got back into the role. I agree that kind of taking a less is more approach to how they wrote her in these films worked. And we're going to get into this. I mean, Jesse and I talked about this a little bit uh, via text that this film is kind of about juxtaposition. And so you have young people in the originals becoming their older equivalents in uh, these movies. So Leia basically becomes Mon Mothma. You have Harrison Ford becoming something a lot closer to Obi-Wan. You have Luke, who very much seems to me to be he's going to be the Yoda of these new movies Etc. Etc. And so having her just kind of being in the background, coordinating things, that's where I feel like her character should be given how the universe has progressed since she was a, you know, fighter on the ground blowing up the shield generator and stuff like that at the end of Jedi, which is yeah. probably when her time at the the on the you know on the front of the battle probably ended. Well, sure. I mean, she's just much older. She can't fight hand-to-hand, but she can still lead. Um, Gabriel, I'm going to let you talk about this in one second, but I just wanted to follow up on Matt's comment um, about Leia, which is, (laughs) I said in one of my Star Wars uh, commentaries, I I was meaning to release them all before the movie. I really didn't release most of them. Maybe I'll release it post the movie now that people are all, you know, jazzed up again about Star Wars. But one of the commentaries, I think it was Empire, where, you know, I was real, uh, realizing after not seeing the movie for a long time how important and skilled Leia is. And I realized that as lovable as Han Solo is and as seemingly indispensable as a, of an actor and character uh, that he's been up to this point, of the big three of the original trilogy, he's easily the most expendable in terms of the higher cause. Right, I mean, you've got Luke Skywalker, most powerful individual in the galaxy, and then you've got Leia, who's the most brilliant leader and tactician and, dip- and diplomat in the galaxy, who also has force powers. Another question about whether that'll ever come into play. I think Leia's going to be in a lot of the second movie with Luke. I-, I-, I want the brother-sister stuff. It doesn't need to be a huge part of the movie, but I want it. I really want Luke and Leia to see each other at least once. But Star always been like obsessed with like these family relationships i'm your father we're sister we're siblings oh we're gonna get back to that baby i think that's what works best about the originals is that it's about a man and a woman and a father and a son it's two very classic relationships at the core of the plot yeah and and han sorry yeah han was never really a part of that that kind of like royal family or that clan the skywalker clan so yeah for that those reasons he's you know pretty expendable 
Well, yeah, well, just, uh, you know, I just think that Leia, let's put it this way. Han was the most lovable in the original. Luke was the coolest in terms of, like, Matt and I talked about this being a kid. We'd rather have force powers than be able to fly up, uh, you know, a ship. Well, I guess Luke could fly a ship as well. Yeah, we're kind of in the minority on that one, though. Most yeah, kids yeah, would yeah. rather be Han, but... Well, you know, well I, you know I, I, I'd, I'd rather be Princess Leia, personally. I, she, I, think, she, I think most kids would probably be Luke, just, be, just for a lightsaber, lightsaber alone. And the telekinesis. You get to be telekinetic. I mean, come on. Yeah, I think Han Solo starts kicking in when you're like a teenager or a you know, young right, adult. Right, because he actually gets get some basically you ladies. know yep so uh yeah so anyways <laughs> what was that there's no there's no incest with han, han solo he's he remained incest free the entire oh, that's yeah, exactly that where i wanted to go that's exactly where i wanted to go with luke and leia which is that because of the way they play their platonic friendship in all the movies even with the kiss if you really watch the kiss in empire she's doing it completely to piss off han solo i mean it's not like a Trinity, you know, Neo cast or something like that, you know, like still a little gross. It, it is a little gross, but you know, the thing is, by the time we learn the truth at the end of the third movie, you know, I don't remember how old I was when I first saw the movie and could understand it. But th- let's put it this way: knowing everything we know up till now, I totally could buy them as brother and sister, just in terms of their rela- their friendship relationship. I don't know. I, I I mean, did you guys do you guys have a problem with Leia being Luke's sister? No. 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 Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So yay, yay, Carrie Fisher. She lost forty pounds. She looks great. So uh, she could have not lost forty pounds. I mean, who cares? Yeah. But oh, oh, absolutely. But men are asked <laughs> to lose weight all the time. I think DiCaprio lost like fifty pounds for for The Revenant. And that's uh, certainly true. Carrie, that, Carrie Fisher that, was that joking in their about contracts it. for the original uh, trilogy as well. Oh, I'm I'm a huge Carrie Fisher supporter when it comes to like just the issues she's gone through mm-hmm. in her life in terms of body image and uh, drugs and so yeah. forth. I, I meant that comment as a bit of a wink. She, yeah, she's look great no matter what, and she talked to the press about it, and she was just her normal quippy, ironic self when talking about it. You yep. know, she she knows that's how it works, and uh, you know, we saw it in the trailer, but the hug with Han Solo gives, you know, makes me tear up every time. Especially because you know he's going to die. Yep. Uh, really quickly, and then maybe we'll jump to Rey um, to start heading towards the end. Did you know the Han Solo spoiler before the movie? No. That he would die? Did you guys know that Kylo Ren was his son? No. Although I do know that in the books, which are now not canon, but for a long time were... The Solos do have a boy, I think his name is Jason with a C, and he does turn to the dark side, become a Sith Lord. No, he, Ben. They have a Ben, too, I believe, in the books. I can't remember. I never read any of those, but I know they have a kid who I believe kills Mara Jade, who is uh, Luke's wife. I think that's how all that works. So. Everyone's pushing for Mara Jade to be yeah. you know, uh, Daisy Ridley's mom. I mean... I. I never read these books, so I have no attachment to any of these extended universe characters. But it certainly would not be out of keeping with previous literature if the Solos have a kid who turns out to be a you know a Sith or whatever. Um, but no, I didn't know any of those things were going to happen before they in, they happen in the movie. But I did see them coming once I saw started watching the film. With relatively little fan you know fanfare, like and it, that opening scene would uh. Max von Sydow's character, almost like, you know, I know who you are. You know, it was, 
Yeah, you who's could... Max von Sydow, by the way? Jur Weston? It's some kind of weird name that I never heard of. No, no, I mean, who is he, really? The actor? Character? No, 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 his character. Why did oh. we, why, why is he such a, they say a familiar face or something, and then you see him, and you're like, what? Why does this guy have the chip? He, he looks like Obi-Wan. Was he a Jedi, and is he in hiding? Maybe, you know, who knows? I think um, we're going to see for a ghost of him in the in the subsequent films okay um because they wouldn't say i've seen you before you've aged blah 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 blah. they wouldn't suggest this guy has such a backstory i mean even in the opening crawl they say poe is visiting an old friend or something like that and then they just wipe him out in two minutes they never even say his name i feel like there is more to that story uh coming in the next two films and again juxtaposition now you have a new force ghost because obi-wan is not the force ghost anymore guiding him yeah i want to bridge our talk of daisy ridley with a larger question i had um i will say really quickly of all the predictions i made i did you know based on other people's predictions predict that adam driver would indeed be a solo skywalker but that daisy ridley would be his sister i thought they were going to be brother and sister i think they're going to be cousins yeah it looks like now there's theories about whether obi-wan is related to daisy ridley perhaps because we hear both um i don't know if you guys caught this you hear both uh, alec guinness and ewan mcgregor who secretly recorded new dialogue actually for this movie it was nice of him to do after his previous experience to bring Wait, him back sir alec guinness is still that- alive no they they were they were able to take her name out of like he says like don't be afraid and they just took ray afraid they just took ray out of that i believe oh, okay. is how they did that yeah i was about to say that does yeah. I, that didn't seem right i but, was pretty uh, sure he had died a while ago so i'm i'm going to ask a wider question and a more specific question and i'm going to throw it to gabriel first after i ask it which is the specific question is let's talk about ray's character obviously as an actress she totally killed it so you know we'll we'll talk about her um her character her character arc the story the mythos but matt did you listen to my star trek commentary star trek the one we did no no my my audio commentary for star trek 09 the the reboot Star Trek. I don't I don't think so. I'm oh, trying because, to remember which ones I've listened to and which ones I haven't. Well, because you knew that I was complaining about Red Matter, so I thought right. maybe you would listen to it. Well, everybody complains about Red Matter. It's kind of it's a problem. No, no, but concept. you said you said in your commentary you you pointed that out. Anyways, whatever. Point being, I'm doing the Star Trek commentary. Uh, the 2009 reboot, which we've all seen. I'm doing that maybe three, four months ago. And, uh, you know, it's J.J. Abrams, but I'm not. Uh, I'm trying not to dwell too much on Star Wars comparisons because I just love that movie, the Star Trek movie, that is. But, I, I, you know, my, my big prediction while doing the Star Trek commentary for The Force Awakens, which hadn't been released yet, was that it was going to look great, but I wasn't sure it was going to have, you know, what I call the narrative oomph that we might want. And in my mini review for, for Forest Awakens, I, I argue that that was the case that, you know, there wasn't quite the narrative oomph in this movie and it was all sold through characters and action basically, which is fine, but it, it doesn't have sort of the craftsmanship of a story that you get with like, you know, the Winter Soldier or the original Avengers or um, I guess you might say the Dark Knight, Matt, right? 
like that kind of thing. And maybe that's not what Star Wars is about. And maybe this is part of the revisionism that somehow original trilogy was so deep and it really is not. It's just really entertaining. So double question there. Um, Gabriel, I'm going to let you tackle either or both of those if you want in terms of the overall narrative uh, quality. Uh, um, or, or you can talk about Rey and where she's going. So do, do what you want, yeah, Gabe. Go. Start with Rey and then... I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe we should finish with the narrative stuff. Yeah, it does relate to the the larger narrative, but loved loved Daisy Ridley's performance. I mean, for like every, everything about her is just like sweet. You can see her like the innocence. Uh, Harrison Ford, when asked about her, said uh, she's awesome and she's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Which is true. It's true. It's totally it, true. So true. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. you you believe it? Like when she sees BB-8. And you know, cares for him or BB-8 is is does it have an assigned gender? Because there's like there's like a, a male and is there like a girl and boy BB-8 character or is it? There is well, sort of. Somebody actually uh, they designed a robot called KT-8, KT-8 to honor a girl named Katie who was a big Star Wars fan who had an illness, I think, cancer or something, and they wrote like a little love story for the two of them. Uh, I don't know where that is. I if it's on YouTube or something, but they did design sort of a female robot to be BB-8's friend. So yes, BB-8 is sort of has a male personality, I guess. Yeah, just really quickly, you have to gender the the droids because as uh, Matt and I talked about on our podcast, you know, to varying degrees, they love or at least care about their droids. And so you can't constantly be referring to it as it, right? Yeah. You, You need to say he or she, you know, and that's just our language. In other languages, that wouldn't be an issue. You can have, you know, a neutral pronoun. And it, but the thing is, it's like, you know how boats and cars are, are female? You know, it, it seems weird to have a, a female droid. You can have a neutered, non-sexual male droid, you know, but having a female droid, now all of a sudden there's, uh, you know, gender expectations, whatever. We don't have to go there. That was an excellent point. Millennium Falcon is, is a woman, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm saying in real life, as in the movies, any sort of ship, whether it's a spaceship or a boat, is always female. Like, people name their yachts. Are mostly female names. Cars are generally named female names. Gabriel is also right in the sec- in Empire when they're running through the asteroids. Han says, uh, and Leia is worried they're going to crash. Han says, "Don't worry, she'll hold together." And then the ship shudders, and he goes, "Easy, baby, hold together." So he does think of the Millennium Falcon as a, a female ship. Back yeah, to- go ahead on Ray, uh, Gabe. It seems uh, the only thing that limits the character is in the, the arc is that the only real challenge that she faced like internally was whether or not she she wanted to leave her home you know what whether she was waiting for uh you know her her parents or you know whoever she was waiting for to ever come back i have i have a theory about this by the way which is that she was like mind wiped uh by luke or some other good force user uh, that when they dropped her off, they like partially mind wiped her, whether you know, to forget Luke as her father or whatever, and, and you know, put in the thought to not leave the planet. You know, like what do you say? You know, like when you're a kid, if you're going hiking or something like that, and you're in Boy Scouts or something, you say, you know, if you lose your parents or, or whoever is in charge, what do you do? You hug a tree. You stay in place. That's what kids should be trained to do. You know, don't move, um, so we can come find you. And so I think that was sort of programmed into her and then we saw it in the vision right and uh, i mean sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you gabriel you can bring in the 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 ray vision whether organic or not that was really the only thing that she had to overcome 
in the movie was what you know this the clinging to her home that she, that she had um, i wish there was like a little bit more more depth more of a but again a lot of this is setting up what happens in the in the second second movie so i mean i can i can give it that that leeway that it's an introduction to this this new character and they and that's the hardest part is that you know do we care about this character and do we like this character and that's you know yes to both of those so i mean yeah let's follow her into the the, the next adventure you know all right so um matt you there buddy yep okay so we'll do yours and my reactions to ray um mm-hmm. also feel to to comment on the narrative uh, you know critique if you want um but i do want to spend our last few minutes doing quick hits of like fun special effects stuff and things like that if that's cool with everybody sure uh with ray i agree that i don't think she faced a ton of challenges um people have online have described her as hyper capable which i buy because if your whole life is digging through shit parts uh it would make sense you would eventually learn how all of them work especially if you're kind of naturally inquisitive and Ray is. So I, I kind of bought that she knew how to succeed in the situation she was in. I also think Luke doesn't face a ton of challenges either in the first Star Wars movie. He is already a pretty good pilot. He is already a pretty good shot. He, you know, he doesn't have to fight Vader. He hits his low point in Empire and then his highest point in Jedi. And I think if Ray is the parallel character and if she isn't, then I don't know who is, because Finn is clearly not a Force user. Not really, anyway. Uh, he just knows how a lightsaber works, and you can program a droid to know how to use a lightsaber. Ray is going to hit a low point in two, or, or I guess not, yeah, uh, eight. Excuse me, I had to redo the numbers. Uh, Matt, if I could just jump in for one second, talking yeah. about struggling in the second one, mm-hmm. going back to an earlier point that one of you guys made about... Uh, which I meant to comment on about how we're going to see both Kylo Ren and Daisy Ridley uh, and Ray training in their different ways. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's almost set up perfectly for Ryan Johnson, who's writing and directing mm-hmm. to have the whole middle or, or early to middle act of the movie juxtaposing their training. The challenge is going to be not to make it cheesy, like doing a montage or something like that. Right. Um, I don't think there's ever been a montage in, in Star Wars, so that's totally fine. But yeah, I, I do think the parallel training will, it'll be like Empire, but we'll see both sides. It'll be great. And she will have issues. And that's what the other thing I tell people who are like, oh, she got powerful too early on. I said, yeah, because this was really extreme circumstances. And it's like being a mutant in the X-Men, you know, Mm -hmm. when you get, when you get really angry and agitated and scared, you get really powerful. She was trying to protect her mind. She didn't realize she was trying to force Kylo Ren out of her mind, but that's what she was doing. She was getting mind raped. Let's be honest, right? I mean, she was being mentally raped and just trying to defend herself. Um, What a great moment of female empowerment that was. Sure. I don't think you're going to see montages in the second movie, although no, you might. No. But what I could could imagine is something, a parallel series of scenes in which she's meditating with Luke or, or going through training the way he went with Yoda. And then you see Kylo Ren descending on more planets, slaughtering more people. You know, the first thing he does when he comes down onto the planet uh, to Jakku is have them slaughter a village. I could see that happening a lot in the early minutes of the second of episode eight 
as he becomes more and more dark side, you know, powerful. Which, by the way, the slaughter in the village was the only real, uh, only really uh, gratuitous civilian killing in the entire movie. Yeah, and people, I've read comments on that 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 is a little bit different. That there's blood and the violence is a little bit hardly gorier. Certainly more than the originals, where if you shoot a stormtrooper, there's a little spark and then he falls on the ground, and that's like as far as violence goes. And in the prequels, it's all clones and droids and CGI characters killing each other, so you don't care anyway. Yeah, I mean, seeing you know, seeing Finn skewer a, a, a costumed trooper, stormtrooper, with a lightsaber, it just doesn't have the same impact as Aragorn skewering orcs in Lord of the Rings. But that's okay. Yeah. Does Rey have, like, her trajectory? Like, where do you see it going? Like, if you look at A New Hope, Luke is, he's a whiny, kind of a brat. Like, oh. mm-hmm. We already know she's not whiny. And she's she's already a better actress than Mark Hamill will ever be. I'm sorry, I love Luke Skywalker, but let's just be honest. I also don't see her becoming the kind of peaceful warrior that Luke is at the end of Jedi. I, I think she's always going to be feistier, you know, a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. Well, well I certainly well, don't see her starting an academy when the when the third movie is over i see her i don't know if she goes back to jakku but i see her going off on adventures for the rest of her life we don't have her train with luke yet so we can't have luke do yoda isms like much fear there is in you you know yeah but there was not a moment in the movie and this is why she's captain america i wanted to get to this there's not a moment in the movie where you think she's going to go to the dark side right the bad guy's side not one minute Mm -hmm. now that was true about luke in the original star wars but that was supposed to be a standalone movie and then luke was tempted in both the second two original movies to different degrees to be to be seduced by the dark side Uh, you know ray was never seduced that's a complaint people have about the originals that there's really nothing really hardcore that really comes close to getting uh, Luke to switch sides. There's a vague threat to his friends that he doesn't really buy. There's a vague threat to his sister. That's that when gets he goes him crazy. Fl- yeah, for 30 seconds, and then he gets over it 30 seconds later. It takes one look at his father's missing hand and his robot hand. He's like, oh, I'm going down this path. I better stop. Okay, I'm going to stop. It- right, but, but fast-forwarding everything, you know, decades from from the original trilogy. Right. We know that he has the dark side in him just because of his father. Sure. And because again of extraordinary circumstances, he's able to basically do his own training. I mean, he does very little training with Yoda. He basically trains himself like like a baby Creed. Right. Um and uh you know, but but yeah, but there is that darkness at the end and it's possible that you know, it's still lingering 30 years later. It, it, we're, we're probably going to re- see him refuse or try to refuse to train Ray. I think I'm sure at the that's beginning of the next movie. Yeah, Luke is a little darker in, in Jedi. Like, you know, when he when he's he, wearing black. Yeah, yeah. He's wearing black. He, he kind of he ra- sells his robots into slavery. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. and, <laughs> and and Princess Leia and Leia. You know, he threatens Jabba. So like he he definitely showed that side to me where he's you know he comes off as a little arrogant. Um, mm-hmm. It was there, not even like an all uh, all out. You know, I'm gonna just become evil, but there was still duality. And I, I don't know. For me, Mark Hamill doesn't become really appealing until Return of the Jedi. 
He's just too whiny, and, and sure. I love I love watching him. And as you know, Matt and I have said multiple times, we would be Luke for sure. You know, as I've commented before, Carrie Fisher's acting ability was really ahead of the other two in the beginning, and they started to catch up. But also, you know, just briefly, yeah, I don't remember how old Mark Hamill was when he was Luke in Star Wars, but his character is supposed to be what sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. You know, a a young boy almost. Like, I don't know what you guys were like in high school, but most high school boys are bratty. I mean, we are obnoxious. So let's let's assume uh, that, you know, Daisy Ridley is supposed to be like a one-to-one comparison. Right. Or, I'm sorry, Ray, a one-to-one comparison with, with Luke Skywalker. So Ray is supposedly 19 or 20, mm-hmm. okay? Now, in real life... Daisy Ridley at the moment is 23. So she was 21 or 22 when they cast her. Hamill was older. So Hamill was about 24, 25 right. when, when they cast him. But you could still buy that he was 20. So mm-hmm. that, would be, that would be my guess. Would be like you know, college age, essentially. Like not, not Spider-Man in high school, but right. not, not a full adult. Yeah. But he wants to go to an academy. They don't ever explain what that is. But you kind of get the sense that's like whatever college is on Tatooine um, or something equivalent, some kind of post-secondary education. So you get the sense that he is a high schooler or just out of high school. Again, when I was 18, I was probably a lot brattier. My parents could probably uh, answer this better than me than I am now at 32. But Ray was never annoying in this movie at right. all. Well, for one, she had she had nobody to be annoying to. She's literally scavenging for survival her entire you know when would she drop there when it looked like she was maybe eight or nine when she was dropped on jacku maybe younger so 15 years of doing nothing but scavenging for parts to avoid starving to death Playing in martial arts too apparently yeah for her to maintain well we go back to her fighting gabriel i'll let you jump into that one in a sec but for her to maintain you know moral compass through that life living that life for 15 years or whatever it seems impossible you know she's almost too cute to have survived in, in something like that and just really quickly, and again, I'm not trying to be judgmental or sexist or whatever, but Ray had to be cast in a very specific way. And Daisy Ridley is the perfect one because she is very cute, both her personality and her looks. She's is beautiful. I mean, when they dress her up, she's going to look gorgeous, you know, if you've seen the, the press tour photos. But she has a sort of normal girl look to her. And she's so sweet and cute throughout the movie without being annoying ever. And this is like the Captain America thing. I always say with Cap, you know, Chris Evans makes humility incredibly sexy. It's very hard to do. It's very hard to be what should be a one-dimensional character and turn it into a three-dimensional character. And I thought she nailed that. It also helps, I think, just briefly that they the costume they designed for her feels very utilitarian and very much like what a person would have to wear to survive in a harsh desert-like environment. Um, and I think that goes a long way towards the death, the, you know, the, the subtle hand that they take with how they depict her visually, you know, that she doesn't wear revealing clothing. She doesn't wear tight clothing. She wears the kind of clothing you would wear if you had to live in that environment. And she wears an outfit that very subtly recalls Luke's all white, uh, jumpsuit kind of getup that he wears on Tatooine. And they somehow brilliantly, I don't know who came up with this in the fashion department, to expose just part of her shoulder and her upper arm. Yeah, that's um, it. It was 
just enough sexiness. It, it, it was, you know, that's the thing. She's sexy, but it's so restrained compared to Carrie Fisher. Now, it's different because Carrie Fisher, back in the day, had a ridiculous body and was just like a model, you know, so ridiculously good looking. And, well, and after they, they made did her ex- go to a fat farm to lose a bunch of weight, but... In the original movies, I'm saying. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, For that oh, role, oh, yeah. they made yes, her yes. go to a, 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 a health camp to, and to force lose a bunch of weight really quickly. Is that a, is that a, is that a pun? A little bit. <laughs> Wait, say that again, guys? They forced her to lose a, a bunch of weight really quickly. Did I'm ching? I don't know. When I was watching Ray, her 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 physical appeal, her attractiveness, her sexiness, whatever you want to call it, it was the last thing on my mind, which to me is a successful female yeah. character that's not written for that purpose. That's what you I know, meant to say. I, I liked watching her kick ass. I liked watching her solve problems and fly ships and feel confident enough in herself to solve her own problems, not ask other people, all of whom were male, what should I do? Um, you know, when she summons the lightsaber, when she outforces Kylo Ren, that was awesome. And the last thing I was thinking in that moment was, boy, she's cute. I was thinking, yeah, she's going to kick this guy's ass. Totally. I, yeah, I, that was what I was trying to get to, was that it was incredibly undistracting the entire time. I was just like you. I was never. I, I admired it. I said, oh, she's adorable, you know, but that was it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it was not distracting in the way that, like, you know, 23-year-old Scarlett Johansson would be distracting or yeah. something like that. Um, sorry, Gabe, but we would cut you off. You want to talk about her fighting? We talk a little bit about her physicality? Well, I mean, that's one of the things you would think that she would have to defend herself, uh, you know, being living that lifestyle. You, you alluded to it that, you know, it's amazing that she even survived in, under those conditions. But, yeah, she was, you know, extremely adept at fighting, and they don't do you think that perhaps this does harken back to some previous training with uh, with Luke or in the Force that I guess you would have to wipe out knowledge of the Force but but keep your martial? I don't know. It's, it's odd that I don't – and I don't even know in terms of having your mind wiped if that's possible where you you know one element of your training is intact but others are are wiped. You have to remember – uh, and again, I don't know if you guys noticed this on your first viewing. In her visions, when they drop her off on the planet, she's crying. It's the big fat merchant guy who's holding her hand, telling her to like shut up. So they basically sold her into slavery to this guy when she was like four or five years old. So she's been dealing with skeevy dudes for like fifteen years. I assume she's just self-taught. I don't know. Yeah, I got the feeling that when those two dudes attacked her, that isn't even the first hundred times that that's happened to her. You know that she is out to break a sweat. Yeah, you know. You got to figure in a world like that, an attractive girl who's by herself would get targeted on multiple occasions, and she's had to learn how to fight them off. And so, okay, you know, so here, here, here's the thing. So, in order for both Finn and Ray to wield the lightsaber, they had to have at least one scene where they were, you know, quote unquote, learning either directly or indirectly. Now, Finn in the battle at Maz Kanata's place. <laughs> You know, when he skewers the stormtrooper, he fights a stormtrooper that has this sword that's not a lightsaber. Yeah, it's an electrified it's blade. Thick. Yeah, it's kind of kind of moved like a nightstick. How does a le- that's the thing though? It the lightsaber doesn't break it, but then the guy hits Finn with it, and it just shocks him like it's a taser or something like that. It's so ridiculous. I didn't think that scene worked super great. And if you want to think of another movie that. Harrison Ford was in when they in Indiana Jones when the guy is wielding the blades and he just shoots him 
If you have a blaster and the other guy's got a lightsaber and doesn't know how to use it, why would you put the blaster down for a hand-to-hand weapon? Well, he does grab he he does grab a, a blaster as soon as the uh, cavalry come in. I guess I, that seemed to me to be more like the J.J. Abrams fight in the first Star Trek reboot, where uh, um, Sulu pulls out his sword, and so the the Romulan just says, "Okay, we'll sword fight," even though he's got a phaser that could blow you know Sulu's face off in about thirty seconds. Uh, okay, so this is a great way to lead into the finale, talking about you know action, this, the action and the CGI and, and the practical. Uh, are you guys cool cool to uh, wrap on this for a couple minutes, and then we'll put a bow on it. Sure. Sure. And Gabriel, anything about Ray that you wanted to get out that, that we didn't hear? No, I, I mean I touched on her, her that her arc was limited, and and I mean and her and I, I opened on that perhaps too soon, but her she she did seem a little bit too perfect, like she was good at everything. You know, she was a good fighter, good. Oh, mechanic. she's Captain America. That's the whole point. Yeah, but there's different movies. You know, Captain America. Well, also, Luke. Luke could. You know, Luke was a mechanic. Luke could fly shit. I mean, it's Luke could do all the stuff she could do. Matt, am I, am I wrong on that? Am I missing something? I, th- I think there are parallels. I, I also think you know, if you are going to put a female character in the lead of a predominantly male or a previously predominantly male franchise, you maybe do need to go slightly over the top with their capabilities. I read read one, not a criticism, but one review of the film that suggested, look. Girls who like Star Trek, uh, Star Wars, excuse me, when they imagine themselves in it, they can do everything. But the boys who are playing Star Wars as kids don't, and so oh, they please. need to see. It's an argument. It's a, you know, that this is a character that is supposed to teach a lesson to male Star Wars fans. You could buy that or not buy it. I think it's an interesting point. They Personally, had, they had Finn. Use the lightsaber. I, I think there's a there's a Finn lightsaber toy out there. I could be wrong. Who knows? I, I I don't know. I agree. I don't know that she's hyper capable or not. I think Luke is really good at stuff too. He seems to be equipped to solve all the problems they encounter, except how to get out of a trash compactor. Yeah, um, he's, that was great. It, I mean, look, it's not like it's eight year old Anakin Skywalker flying a starship. You know? Yeah. I mean, these you got to suspend a little disbelief. It is Star Wars, and you got to move things forward. That's the right. thing. You know, we 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 talking about oh, fleshing out this, fleshing out that, dude. The movie's two hours and fifteen minutes already, and has to set up all sorts of shit going forward, including the final. Luke scene, which was way longer than it had to be, yeah. Um, and and I was cool with that because I was worried. I wanted. Oh, I wanted to ask you really quickly, Matt, and then I do want to jump in to um to the like special effects action stuff. I I know you're a huge Luke fan, and you, we did talk about this on text message, but I wanted to get on the Bizzle cast. You're a huge Luke fan, mm-hmm. so you're you're at like an hour and fifty nine minutes in. Are you starting to have a little bit of anxiety attack that there was going to be no Luke? Because I was. No, not really. Um, I for one because the opening crawl says Luke Skywalker is gone, and by the way, that crawl is terrific because of how short it is, how simply it sets up what's going on. None of this. You know, five-minute crawls about trade embargoes and 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 wars with heroes on both sides. Like it, very simple. Here's what's going on. These are the bad guys. This is the good guy. That's it. Let's get into the movie. So I understood why Luke was not in it. I understood why it made me understand why Luke wasn't in the trailers. People were really wondering why he wasn't showing up. Now that makes sense because he's only going to be in the film for a minute and a half and they're going to save most of his stuff for the next movie. I'm fine with that. I was also fine because this movies, these movies will succeed or fail on the strength of the young characters on Finn and Ray and Poe 
and BB-8 and Kylo Ren, they are not going to succeed on the strength of the cameos by the old ones. So there was, I thought, some maybe just enough, maybe too much Han Solo. There was just enough Leia. I think throwing Luke in there too would have overwhelmed uh, the audience and taken too much attention away from getting invested in the new characters. So if they're going to save Luke and bring back Leia for episode eight, I think that's the right approach. Really quickly, I just saw this. This was released today. Uh, New York Times has an article. Carrie Fisher takes on criticism of her looks in Star Wars The Force Awakens. And, uh, Carrie Fisher says, Please stop debating whether or not I aged well. Unfortunately, it hurts all three of my feelings. <laughs> That's why I'm glad we never used the phrase aged well in this conversation to the best of my knowledge. Uh, no, we didn't. That's the whole point. Yeah. But, you know, she, the thing is, have you read her book? No, but I'm so, I, I have oh, some idea great. of what it's about. I've heard it's hilarious. Like, it's, it's, so, it's so funny. Yeah, and the it's a, I forget the exact title. It's called it's called Wishful Drinking, and the 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 cover is Princess Leia from the, from A New Hope uh, with with that hairstyle, with, with her head like down on the table like she's passed out from drinking. It's so funny. If you guys want to borrow it at some point, I'd be happy to send it to you. Uh, it's a quick read. Uh, it's very entertaining, and she does her own um, theatrical productions as well, where. She one man one woman show um, where she talks about her life and so she's she's you know she's she's like Hillary Clinton at this point right I mean she's like just bulletproof I'm sorry I just saw that I wanted to pass that on real quick um, so all right well how about I throw out a couple uh, I'll run through some plot bits here and either you guys can jump in on that and we'll just do a we'll do a sort of a quick run through. Does that sound good, Gabriel? Okay, cool. All right, so we've got the the very first scene with uh Lore Santeca is his name, the Max von Sydow character with Poe. It feels very Star Wars. How do you feel about about the opening scene setting up the whole thing? You have the Star Destroyer like blocking out the light of the planet and so forth. Gabriel, okay, no, I'm I'm talking about the whole scene, like the and then torturing Poe and you know the escaped and the Tie Fighter and the whole thing. Oh, well, like oh, I thought you meant like the very opening because I was like a little bit late in the theater. I missed the crawl. Uh, <laughs> uh, you missed the crawl. <laughs> yeah, there were there were no tra- there were no trailers. None. Just like the movie, <laughs> we got there like five minutes after the showtime, and it was like already with people. So, all right. Well, I'll, I'll start, and you guys can jump in. Yeah. I love the bromance between Poe and Finn, and the fact that you can call it a bromance with like two really quick scenes just shows you how committed the actors were. And this is a point I want to make about this movie. This isn't a super original thought. We know this from what we've seen leading up to the movie and the press and interviews. The people in this movie really liked each other, you know, but the old cast and the young cast, everyone got along and the friendships I think are that much more real because that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what's so brilliant about the Avengers movies is the chemistry that all these big name actors have with each other. Or like, Firefly and Serenity. Firefly, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Firefly achieved it in almost zero time. And so, you know, the Poe Finn thing I didn't see coming. They do have that shot in the trailer where uh, or Poe gives them the the, you know the, the, back, the yeah. back slap or whatever and you're like oh, okay these guys might be buddies but um i i love that their getaway was great i love yeah. the, the red on the tie fighters matt and they actually look like they're having fun they look like they're having fun flying it and it's like the first time you see people having fun since maybe the escape from the death star with 
Han and Luke where they're laughing as they're blowing up ships, which is a little fucked up because they're people yeah. dying. And but, that's, that's uh, Finn's, you know, those are his comrades or people he was just fighting with or, you know, mourning their loss. And right, which now we know he cares about. Black. So that's a. <laughs> Yeah, so the two of them are great together. You, you, I mean, my dad actually had turned to me, and this is the thing, I, as few spoilers as I had, I almost wish I didn't even see the trailers or the, knew the IMDb or anything, because when they crash and you know Finn wakes up on Jakku and the ships uh, sink in and there's no Poe, um, and uh, my dad turns to me and he's like, he's like is Oscar Isaac dead? I was like, no, Dad, don't worry. Ask I actually dead. wasn't sure if he was alive or dead. I did. I, I mean, I've gone on rants about trailers on your podcast. I stayed yeah. away from a lot of the trailers. I think I watched one of them. Uh, I figured you would just know that Oscar Isaac was in the movie and that they're not going to kill him in two seconds. I, I mean, he doesn't wear makeup or anything, so I don't know why, but I kept watching him. I was like, is that Oscar Isaac or isn't it? Because the th- movies I've seen him in are uh, X. Uh, Machina, where he's lit a little bit differently. Inside Lewin Davis, which is, the lighting on him is very dark, because a lot of it takes place at night, and he's supposed to look disheveled. And then obviously, you know, I've seen him now in X-Men Apocalypse, where he's covered in purple makeup. So I kept thinking, that's Oscar Isaac, right? No, is it? So I couldn't quite figure out, I forgot that he was in it. So I wasn't sure if he was alive or dead. With me, it was more his voice. I was able to recognize him. Especially when he started doing the, what, you talk, I talk, you talk? Uh, yeah. Thing. I was like, okay, that's Oscar Isaac. <laughs> He's an extremely good looking dude. I think we can agree on that. Oh, man, what a stud. And uh, If you just, like David Krumholtz, you'll like Oscar Isaac. I think uh, they look almost identical to each other. Interesting. Oscar Isaac's Guatemalan, but uh, that's, 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 that's cool. Uh, but anyway, so I thought that was great. We're going to definitely see more of him. This was more of a setup for his character. Um, they wouldn't have made him such a big part of like the whole campaign leading up to this if right. he wasn't going to be a major character going forward. I think him and Finn are going to be buddies. They already are. We'll explore that more. It'll be great. So anyways, so we get to the the Jakku stuff. We spend at least the first third of the movie on Jakku, right? In and around Jakku. You know, and uh, we, have the, we talked about Finn meeting Ray and whatever. Um, but the big thing is... Did you guys dig the reveal of the Millennium Falcon as they're trying to run away? Loved it. I did too. And I liked the idea that they don't want to take it. They run right by it. It's like, ah, this thing's a piece of garbage. Here, we'll take this. Gets blown up. Okay, garbage ship it is. That was terrific. It was great too because we saw the explosion of the first ship in the trailer, right? Not knowing what it is. And so that was actually something where the trailer actually informed the movie in a good way for me because I'm watching that shot. I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's getting blown up. And then she goes, that was a piece of garbage. I was like, okay, that's got to be the Falcon. But it was still a great reveal. I really liked the way they dealt with the, the idea of this planet as this weird spaceship graveyard sort of a thing where you have all these derelict ships that people have built a community and economy out of scavenging the parts off of. Did you notice when one of the TIE fighters crashed in that scene that there was immediately like 10 scavengers there yeah, picking up the exactly. TIE fighters? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I thought that was really cool, and it hinted that this planet was important, even though we've never heard of it. I, I liked that they really intentionally tried to very quickly build the idea that this new setting matters, You know that they don't have to go back to Tatooine. They can have another desert planet that is just as important or more so uh, to what this new story is going to be. 
my impression was that it was maybe an uninhabited planet or sparsely inhabited and that there was obviously a huge battle there we see at least two crashed <laughs> star destroyers mm-hmm. she lives in an at walker yep. you know which is great i love when she puts on the helmet the rebel helmet mm-hmm. she's eating her food or whatever she's so well, cute why would an at walker be there if it was if it was uninhabited i wondered the exact same thing that's so funny because oh, you think of those as, as useful for ice and, and snow, you know, sand and, again, and dunes, again, they would be pretty crappy at. They would lose their footing. Well, no, no. I, I don't mean uninhabited. Like, the rebels didn't have a base there. I just mean not a huge native population. I could be wrong about that. Right, but why wouldn't... I mean, unless they dropped the AT, AT walker when it's you know was already broken... Why would they have ATAT walkers? This is super nerdy, and I don't want to talk about this, but <laughs> it did look out of place on a desert world when the only image you have is it walking across the snow of Hoth. Oh, so you, you think it's it should have just been a snow thing? Yeah, I, I mean, just the physics of how those walkers work doesn't quite make sense on a planet of sn- sand dunes. Yeah, with, but and, this and is big sand and, and the like, you know. Uh, yeah, but this is so far beyond what I want to talk about. That that's like fetish nerd star wars stuff that i'm not interested in all right so the 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 most difficult part of the movie for me to get through is the stuff on the freighter and uh, i i mean not han solo with the two of them and the and chewy and bb8 that stuff's great but the the whole uh, you know the pirate clans that come after him after the raid and the yeah it was kind of funny if team Right. Someone someone pointed out online that that was a very Star Trek-y scene, actually, in terms of just the, like, they almost look like Klingons on the one side, and then the red troopers look like they could have been in the Star Trek reboot. I mean, let me put it this way. The freighter stuff, including the monsters, which didn't look great, was very reminiscent of J.J. Abrams' vision of Star Trek. I don't know, Matt, if you, if you felt that that way. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think I did actually think that one of them looked kind of like the new Klingons look in uh, Into Darkness. Um, I didn't love the freighter stuff either. Um, I, it just, I don't know. It, it didn't, it didn't quite pop the way the the Jakku scenes uh, did. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they needed the big alien chase battle. Certainly not another one. There were many of them. <laughs> And then there's that great line where he says he's Han Solo, and Finn goes, the general? And, and, and Ray goes, no, the smuggler. <laughs> you know? she, that's the th- this is why, and this is why Ray's brilliant, because she has Han Solo in her. She's Luke and Han. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it, so hard to pull off and put in a female character. You know, she is totally a, a good pure heart but she's more impressed that he's he was a famous smuggler than a famous general i sure. thought was great and i think what works about these new characters is they all have little bits of multiple characters in them you know uh finn is the gunner he's not the pilot so he's a little bit more like luke and he gets to use a lightsaber even though he doesn't really have force powers which is more than han ever did so they all they're not one-to-one, Ray is the new this, Finn is the new that. They're all mixes of characteristics, which makes them a little bit more unique, I think. What did you guys think of... Well, let's, I'll start w- with the, the character, and then we can talk about the overall scene. What did you think about the character of Maz Kanata? Liked her. Liked her a lot. Um, this the, the whole, uh, you know, where's that Wookiee mom? I like it. <laughs> yeah, where's my boyfriend? Where's my boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great. The CG, CG was convincing. Um, her, 
the eyes were like really expressive. Actually, the the eyes were the like the really standout part of the character. She, you know, sixty percent eyes. So, and it, it was it. I bought it. You know that it, this thing was alive. You know, so and she was fun. She was a fun. She was fun. Nice little plot device to get get things going. Yeah, and I love the the voice performance by Lupita on her for sure. So. Maz Kanata, while I loved the character and, uh, you know, Lupita Nyong'o was, was perfect, you're thinking, okay, this, you know, this being is a thousand years old and you have this really young actress, but you realize that Maz Kanata, in terms of her soul, is very young and she has a young heart, you know, um, but while still being wise. I mean, Lupita was definitely doing stuff with her voice to sound a little bit like an old lady. That's hard to do. Um, I don't know if they did any mocap outside of Lupita's face. I don't think so, because she kind of walked around like a little dwarf, you know. I, I think they did do mocap on uh, motion capture on, on Lupita's face. But I will say, I mean, the practical aliens, when we saw them, looked pretty good. The CGI was sort of so-so um, in the movie. I mean, Moss looked good. It wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. She was good enough. And the eyes were great, as you point out. That's the most important part with her, obviously. But it was like... <laughs> It was weird. It was like we saw a million new aliens, but none of them were particularly memorable, except maybe a couple on uh, on Jakku. Uh, I don't know how you feel about all that, Matt. Well, I mean, what I find interesting is of the aliens they introduced, the ones who are the most memorable are seeing Admiral Akbar again yep. and seeing the guy who flies with Lando on the Falcon in Jedi when they blow up the second Death Star. Yeah, there's a name for him. He, yeah, he's got a name. He laughs. I can't remember... Everybody who saw the movie knows exactly who I'm talking about. Um, but seeing that guy again was pretty cool as well. Um, yeah, 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 that guy. Yeah. Um, I'm sure somebody's Wikipediaing right now what his name is, or uh, one of our no. listeners will when when they hear this yeah, part. They'll know. I liked that scene with Maz. I I loved how they introduced the lightsaber. I loved you know that the the blade itself has sort of it's been used by so many really powerful Jedi that it has its almost its own object memory to it. And so when she touches it, that kicks in her own kind of predestination abilities. I didn't love Maz. I didn't think the CGI was great. It wasn't and great. I thought, you know, the eyes thing where she keeps readjusting the, her glasses to make them bigger or smaller. Uh, that is very, uh, not, I want to use the word juvenile, not in that it makes her childish, but it makes her a character who is supposed to, I think, appeal to children and well, this is a Disney movie after all. It is a Disney movie, and there have always been Star Wars characters that do that uh, I mean, you to could... lesser or greater effect. The Ewoks were meant to appeal to kids. They're a bunch of teddy bears. Right. Jar Jar Binks, Lucas <laughs> said, is supposed to be goofy. It's supposed like the Goofy the Disney character is supposed to be something little kids would find funny. And whenever you create characters like that, they tend to not be received very well because nobody likes to be talked down to, even children. I think Maz doesn't talk down to kids, but I think it was the character very clearly designed to be something younger kids could access. And you didn't really need her to be like that. And so I I wasn't nuts about her character. I don't, you know, I don't know if they're going to show more of her, if she's going to be in episode uh, eight and nine. I don't really care. She didn't grab me. Tons of like Maz Maz merch out there, and the, I, I don't know either. I mean, hot seller. I just I, I appreciated 
that she was exactly in the middle of the movie, and she's exactly the catalyst they needed to move everything forward. I don't know if they needed her, though. I, I, I feel like no, because they, they could have landed anywhere. No, because they needed the rebels, they needed the, the uh, resistance and the First Order to find out at the same time that, yeah. that the droid was there. They didn't want to do a Moss Eisley Cantina. And by the way, the music there... Even though that scene is supposed to be Moss Eisley right. Cantina. So they're in the Moss Eisley Cantina, and... Uh, I, I thought, you know, the griminess of the inside really contrasted in a weird way with the, like, sort of uh, temple-like look on the outside. And it was sort of a temple to Maz. Like, yeah, it didn't all add up. But I liked her chemistry, in quotes. I really liked her chemistry with Ray when she was trying to persuade Ray to embrace her destiny. And it was almost all because of the voice performance by Lupita. And so it worked for me because of that. You needed a planet that wasn't an Empire planet and that wasn't our First Order or, and wasn't a Resistance or Republic planet, I guess was the idea. Now, why they went to Maz specifically, I'm not sure. Harrison Ford knows the Millennium Falcon is tagged. And then, of course, we have a huge battle um, on Maz's, uh, you know, in Maz's little planet or whatever. I think, Matt, you expressed dissatisfaction with this. Because I loved it. I thought that was the best battle in the movie. I mean, this, in terms of the spaceships. Yeah. No, I liked the fight scene. I liked it a lot. I, I liked that. And that, if I'm not mistaken, that's the first time Finn uses the lightsaber. Yep. And that is kind of interesting. Um, I wasn't nuts about the Finn using the lightsaber to fight the stormtrooper with the weird electric blade for no clear. That reminded me too much of the scene of the Star Trek drill. But I liked, uh, I liked the fight scene. I just felt like they could have set that scene up with any number of characters and they didn't need to set it up with a character who is goofier, who, you know, is not all that interesting and doesn't look all that interesting. And I don't know, I, I, they could have gotten there on any planet with any character. They could have found the lightsaber anywhere in literally a galaxy. So I thought Maz was just a poorly conceived or at least more poorly conceived than all the other characters. That's my opinion. Sure. Let's assume, though, that since Maz is A, old, B, good, C, can touch the Force, that she's the perfect ally on the neutral planet for the Resistance or, or anyone on the light side of the Force, right? She's a, she's the third party that can be trusted to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think her skin texture was the only thing that I didn't think was was great about her. I, again, I, just with, just with the eyes and the voice, it was fine for me. So, anyways, but they go there, they walk outside. Here come the Tie Fighters. Daisy Ridley's has had run into the woods to cry or whatever, and she comes running back, and they have the big fight. Um, you know, it's great to see. We knew there was going to be a ton of in-atmosphere battles between Tie Fighters and X-wings. It was great to see the finished product. Uh, they kind of teased us, though, in the trailers that there would be more J.J. Abrams-isms when it came to those fights. I was a little disappointed that they were a little static. I Well, I certainly didn't think they were static. I thought they were pretty enjoyable. Um, not static. To, let, let me rephrase. Not, not static. Just, uh, you know, he, he took fewer risks, I guess, with the shooting than I thought maybe he would, which is fine. I have to be honest. I think one of the movie's faults is that it could have been a little bit shorter. And I think that entire scene could have been trimmed down. That's one area where I thought it actually bogs down a little bit longer than it has to. I thought they could find the lightsaber and then Moz could say one thing to Daisy Ridley, uh, to Ray, excuse me, and that's it. I thought the whole conversation she has with Han is just, it's, it's a character in a movie where you go to them, they explain something, and then you leave. 
you could just work the explanation in some other way without going to that needing that character. So I thought that entire scene from when they land to when the two fighting squadrons show up simultaneously to when they get off the planet, that could have been trimmed down a little bit. Hmm. Um, I that you know you wanted to know my thoughts on each scene in the film. That is one scene that could have been shortened a bit. Uh, in a movie that I think could have been shortened a bit. I think it's a bit long for a um, a Star Wars film, for a sci-fi action blockbuster. But it's it still felt rushed, though. I mean, it was long, but, I mean, just... Yeah, that's, well, maybe that's if they trimmed that scene, which was slightly less necessary, they could have given it a little more minutes to some of the other scenes that maybe needed another minute to... Oh no! They to get should, the proper length. No, you should just cut the freighter. That's ten minutes right there. They should just or yeah. cut the freighter. This was yeah, this was way more cool. important than the freighter. Because so much happens. You get you get Ray Ray's first interaction with uh with Kylo and you know that that force freeze. Right, and all that stuff. I'd say keep. I think it's the stuff leading up to when they find when she finds the lightsaber that could have been shorter um and the freighter could have been shorter i'm with you guys on that yeah it was great to see uh i was telling gabriel this i heard this online and then looked at it in one of my subsequent viewings if you watch uh poe dameron uh during that battle if you include the stormtroopers he shoots that are on the ground as well as the ones in tie fighters he kills like 25 people on screen uh, mm-hmm. Which is great, you know that you. I mean, because the X-wing fighters, while you know, always compelling in the original trilogy, this is the first time we have a major character as the leader of the pilots, um, mm-hmm. and who we've gotten to know a little bit. And uh, you know, I love that Finn can sort of tell that it's him because of his fighting. I don't know what it was, but there's an extended shot where where it's circling a 360 around Finn, just following Poe do his thing. That was really cool. Um, yeah, it was okay. I mean, just to bridge, to, we don't have to, to, to end here, um, as you guys want to, but, you know, the, the trench run at the end, how did they get away with this? No one's even complaining about it. I mean, some people are complaining, but, you know, Starkiller Base being a different, bigger Death Star, you know, they, they, they're able to get away with it somewhat because Han Solo keeps making cracks about how similar it is to the Death Star, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, but you know, and I guess for the general audience, some of them haven't seen Star Wars since the 80s or whatever, you know, so that, that's fine. Uh, now they can't use this anymore because now we've yeah. had three Death Stars in four movies. And, oh, by the way, J.J. Abrams uh, destroyed Vulcan in Star Trek as well. So we got a lot of <laughs> a lot of planet destruction here. <laughs> I wasn't disappointed with the dogfighting. As a nerd, I couldn't believe that they only used TIE Fighters and X-Wings. I mean, you watch Return of the Jedi, which, by the way, is still the best space battle ever for my money, um, just because of the emotion of it and the stakes. And it's, it's film great. Mm-hmm all practical um you know like they have at least four different fighters um in the return of the jedi uh battle and they have a a number of capital ships and since there's no space fighting we don't get capital ships but you contrast this to the serenity space battle you know which which you talked about uh, how great the serenity space battle is because of all not just the reaver ships look different but they all do different things um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just wasn't that imaginative, but again, in the original Star Wars, New Hope, it's 
TIE Fighters for the bad guys and X-Wings for the good guys. So they're just mirroring that. I have yeah. to assume we're going to see some more ship stuff. I know this is a nerdy thing, but when you grow up you know, flying TIE Fighters on your computer, you learn about this stuff, and uh, I don't know. I, I was a little disappointed. There, I mean, it, and the other thing was they destroyed the freaking you know, super mega Death Star with like 20 X-Wings. Are you kidding me? Sorry. <laughs> and a little help from the inside, but... True. This looks like the Star Wars universe has no military industrial complex. Like where, where's the advancement in 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 warfare besides you know a, a slightly different, larger Death Star? Like who's there's there's nobody profit there's no profiteering off. Okay, of I want Matt to answer this because we talked about this extensively in our podcast about the the lack of technology advancement in Star Wars. Right. Yeah. I mean, Lucas talked about this when he conceived the original films of this idea of an old universe that everything is stitched together. You have a limited amount of resources, so you have to repurpose old ships all the time. Everything isn't shiny and clean like it is in Star Trek, and that's by design. And so from the prequels to the originals, you have a recession in technology. You have a recession in aesthetic quality of the ships, you know. The prequel ships are shinier and brighter, probably because they're all CGI, than the ones in the original films. And now it's gotten even worse to the point where lots of this old technology has now just started to break down and it's literally lying in the dust waiting to be scavenged. So you seem to have even less tech than you did 20 years before that. We're not going to talk about Dune, but to compare it to Dune, which we did in the the podcast Jesse and I did, you have an intentional... Uh, repression of a culture to the point that once the repression ends, the technology explodes at a, an exponential rate in a rapid period of time to prevent the repression from ever happening again. And I think in Star Wars, something similar is happening. So it seems like there are just less ships flying around, that everything is even older, even more broken. Uh, regarding the uh, the similarities of the plots, yeah, this is the last time they get to get away with that. Oh, yeah. They can't have another giant planet killing weapon as the main plot of of episode eight or nine i think they know that but again i think they're trying to get people thinking about the originals instead of having the prequels which came out much more recently in their mind as the preeminent image of what star wars is supposed to be right this Um, is this isn't along the same lines as the overreaction to the politics and and the prequels and going too far the other way you know right trying to make it too familiar um, and the, but the visuals weren't even that cool. I mean, that's the thing in terms of the the on planet stuff. I, mean, I think Maz's space battle the gun, was better. The, the explosion was cool. The draining the sun and the giant cannon that I, I thought was more visually interesting than the the five points of light that converge when the Death Star fires. Sure. Um, I thought when it actually fires its weapon, it's a cool looking weapon. But you only need to do that once, blow it up, and now for the next two movies, give me some kind of threat that isn't that. I don't care what it is. Make it a ship, but just something other than a big circle that blows up other big circles. Yeah, I mean, what I would have done, if I were directing and Disney was like, look, we're having Starkiller base, but you can figure out how it's going to be destroyed, okay, as the writer Mm -hmm. or whatever. I would say you know do the infiltration thing like they did but have it be even more of an infiltration thing you know it's an infiltration thing but it could have been you know more about the infiltration and less about the spaceships shooting something on the surface that's basically the ventilation port from a new hope um you know i mean that's the problem the return of the jedi vision 
is the best of the three because you have to fly into the center and it's you know i love that about return of the jedi i i, I could watch that over and over again and did as a kid it's not a trench you're actually flying into the freaking death star they couldn't do that here i suppose oscar isaac is the one who blows up everything at the end everyone gets away as gabriel points out at, at just the right time the the forest cracks in half so that kylo ren and uh yeah really and ray and finn are on the other side so, uh, anyways, just for the sake of, of wrapping up, why don't we do uh, predictions? Do we think that uh, that Ray is definitely Luke Skywalker's uh, daughter, Gabriel? Still unclear. She's definitely related to one of the old characters, whether it be might be Obi Wan's granddaughter. Definitely think she's going to be related to the Skywalker clan, to or be. or or to a Kenobi. Could be a Kenobi, but uh, yeah, I definitely see that coming. I want to predict that. Write that down. Nice, Matt. <laughs> you, you think she's daughter? I'm gonna say yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't. That I think that is certainly what is implied by this film. First film. Does that mean they're gonna go through with it? Maybe not. Maybe that's an intentional misdirection. But I certainly think it is implied she is the son. I'm, excuse me, she's the daughter of. She's actually Luke's son, but uh, I think she's the daughter of Luke. Yeah, and I and. Luke and I don't know who, but uh, I, I certainly think that's what the film wants us to think. Yeah, I, um, I'm not sure I'm going to predict that that's the case, but I will say this. I want it to be the case, but I want it to be the case not just because she'll be Luke Skywalker's daughter, and that would be great, but because she'll be Kylo Ren's cousin. You know? yeah, I could totally see them you know, use, like calling each other cousins in a very you know like snarky way or whatever like that's the thing i just want her to be related to kylo i don't care if it's through luke or through whoever and it's the easiest way to justify trying to save this person not just trying to kill him the first chance she gets you know if these people don't have anything to do with each other personally he's a very bad man who probably needs to be killed for the other side to win. Yeah. So if if she's going to have any remorse about this, the easiest way for her to have it is for him to be flesh and blood, especially because she does clearly have abandonment issues and longs for her family. So to find out she actually has family and he's like the most evil dude in the universe, right? that's an effective narrative development, I think. He seemed to recognize her more than just recognizing the force in her. I could be wrong. And Gabriel, did you interpret that? As any kind of recognition there between with Kylo, because he's he was like, "Where is the girl? Like, how would he know about this girl?" Specifically, because I think there were reports that you know, BB-8 was with a was with a girl on the planet. So they did allude that he knew that there was a, a girl of significance that would you know, they would need he would run into and in trying to recover the droid. No, so no, 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 because the the guy says you know the traitor meaning Finn is with the droid. And and got away, and then Kylo Ren destroys his console for like ten seconds with the lightsaber, which, which was great. And then he I goes, him flip out. Yeah. And then he goes, anything else? And you think the scene's gonna be over? And the guy goes, there was a girl. And then boom, he force grabs the guy in the throat. And they're like, okay, I think there's something more going on there. Could be wrong. Maybe he doesn't know that she and he are related. If they are, again, we don't know that. We kind of think that's where it's going, but. Uh, maybe when he was training with Luke, he heard something uh, or there was a prophecy about a, a young female force wielder who would do something significant. I mean, it's Star Wars. There's prophecy is everywhere. So maybe he's afraid of 
some girl who's prophesied to kill the traitor or or something like that, you know? Did did this is uh, a little off topic quickly, and then maybe we can wrap up. Did Lucas have a sense that Vader would be Luke's father in the initial trilogy, or that was just a co- it just ended up being convenient when he started working on uh, Empire? I mean, the original movie. He started working on Empire. Do you guys know? It's hard. Not sure. It's hard to know. I don't either. I want to think that he did know that. I mean, in the first Star Wars movie, they talk about the two knowing each other. You know, Obi-Wan says Vader killed Anakin Skywalker or something like that. So clearly when he wrote the first movie, there was a personal connection between these two figures. So I would like to think that in his mind, he knew he was going to break the twist if he got to make a second movie that he was his You're father. Right. Oh, the other thing, the other thing is Vader means father in like Dutch or German or something like that. So, or, or, oh, really? or it's related. It's like very closely related to the word. So who knows? Um, yeah. And so uh, I guess just a, a final question here. Um, I have two, I have two final questions. The first is, are you excited for the standalone movies or you just want to get to episode eight? Rogue One with Felicity Jones. Yeah, sure. Bring it on. Bring it on. You guys know what the plot is for that one? It's a young Han, isn't it? Or is that the other one? No, no. I that's there, that's the second proposed, one. Yeah, Young Han uh, standalone spinoff. It, there, it it takes place during a New Hope, essentially. It, it's it's the finding of the Death Star plans. They're the Rogue Squadron or the Undercover Squadron. They're the ones who find the Death Star plans. I, I think it was for the first Death Star, not for the second one. So that that should be cool. Another female lead, by the way. Two Star Wars movies, two female leads. People are buying it. Just goes to show yeah. you. You know, this goes back to the point about toys earlier. I don't think it's going to hurt boys enjoying their toys at all because they still get Kylo Ren and Finn and Poe. Right. And, you know, we're, I think we're going to get boys playing with, with, with Rey uh, uh, figures. And they're, they're, st- they're still moving. Uh, Darth Vader and Luke. Mer- I mean, they're, they're right. really yeah. characters that even even the prequel stuff is still uh, selling. So they're not even they're not even worried. They just want to make sure they hit every possible demographic at this point. They're just they they're just trying to expand it to make a sort of meta parallel. Just like with Dune, with repressing technology, when you repress film for decades and all the protagonists are white male leads, the second the the switch flips, you are going to see an explosion of minority leads and female leads in these kinds of films. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing now. As long as the characters are well-written and they're well-cast and well-acted, I don't care if the protagonist is black or white, male or female, gay or straight, Jewish, Christian, whatever. I like well-written characters that I find myself emotionally invested in. Um, So if they cast Rogue One well and it's a good story, It'll be a good movie. If they fail at those things, which they do with male characters all the time too, it's going to be a bad movie. Yeah. Um, you guys know who Darth Plagueis is? Yeah. The uh, Easy is a legend, almost like a legendary Sith. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. The winner of Palpatine, you know, was uh, re- regaling uh, Anakin with the, his... And what he apparently was able had to gain the ability to cheat death. Well, that supposedly. was a lie, actually, <laughs> which was great. Yeah, that was the best part of the prequels that no one realized was that that whole thing was just a lie to get him to the dark side. Um, yes. Anyways, there's been speculation for a while that uh, Snoke. Maybe we should talk about Snoke for a second. Uh, that Snoke is Darth Plagueis. So, uh, I mean, he looked like Gollum to me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> 
I don't know if I have much to say. With a little, with a little Voldemort in there. You yeah, little... I heard someone whisper that behind me during the movie, actually. So, all right, well, looking forward, we got Benicio Del Toro as a villain, at least, for episode eight. Cool. Wouldn't that be awesome if it turns out he was the collector and this was actually a Marvel and Star Wars crossover? That would Sorry. be, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> that's true because he's the collector in the Thor movies yeah. and Guardians uh, that's not going to happen but that would be a funny thing to dream about well we got Oscar Isaac in the X-Men movies I mean you know right. <laughs> people are all over the place uh, slightly off topic yeah uh, you guys uh, thoughts on Sicario I never saw it the, the the action movie that came out about three months ago Ooh, not action no, I wouldn't call it or, action like, it's like a thriller uh Kind of no, I didn't hear it opens another, the opening uh, scene there's like she finds a bunch of bodies in a wall or something like right, that yeah yeah Emily i have Blunt. friends who are film critics who raved about it i never got around to see it, it. Was, i heard it was it fantastic was excellent excellent yeah i almost forgot that you definitely get on that, that that's going to be on a lot of uh top 10 lists and uh i don't know is if benicio it's, toro in it yeah yeah okay so that's why you thought of that yeah benicio has a, has a great great role in there it's, um so yeah you know Bizzlecast listeners, definitely catch <laughs> that on uh, out, out the, on the stream that. Awesome. Just really quickly, and then we'll close. So, Rian Johnson, Ryan Johnson, whatever, who, who's writing and directing episode eight, is also writing episode nine, although not directing it. So, I think we're it's going to feel more like the original trilogy, where the second two movies are closer together in a lot of ways than the first. And this really will end up being A New Hope, and then, just like Empire and Return of the Jedi, we're really a two-parter, right, that were broken up. Uh, it, I think Episode Eight and Nine will be a, a two-parter as well. Um, you know, I'm sure there will be a gigantic cliffhanger after Eight, because they didn't have a huge one here. Uh, I don't. I mean, he directed Looper, which was like a pretty good sci-fi movie. Other than that, I don't really know. He did a bunch of episodes of Breaking Bad, including oh, that's several right. that won awards. Yes. He wrote Ozymandias, which is it's like the second or third to last episode of the show yeah. when kind of everything Walter White has built breaks down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he if his TV credits are any indication, he is a a very good scriptwriter. He also has a movie called Brick from 2005 that got nominated oh, for all Which I've heard was very good. Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah, great movie. Yeah, and Looper has Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's interesting with directors, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like Christopher Nolan, like, they just, they want to keep him on board. Anyways, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to look forward to. I'm glad they're doing standalone movies. You know, to finish you up, uh, Matt and I have talked about this, you know, the oversaturation thing when you combine this with all the comic book movies. I mean, next year you're literally getting, like, eight comic book movies and a Star Wars movie, like, Thank God, no more Hunger Games movies. That's not even true. There's talk that they might do prequel Uh, Hunger Games movies. It won't be next year, that's for sure. No, but Lionsgate doesn't want to let their top-grossing franchise pay. You know, there's going to be another Harry Potter movie. You know, The Wizard, it's like a prequel in America in the 20s. I think that comes out next year. Yeah, so. yep, Eddie Redmayne plays yeah, the, the teaser, yep. teaser trailers out for that. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, Star Wars isn't going to have to worry about any of this stuff. I will say, just from my, uh, we started with logistics, we'll end with logistics. So, you know, initially, the three episodes were going to be Christmas of 2015, 17, and 19. Now, they pushed up uh, episode 8 to May of 2017, which means they're going to have to start filming, like, ASAP. Like, they're going to get off this press tour and go immediately back to filming. I'm sure they have you know, their they, reasons. They haven't, they haven't already I mean, started the film. Do you think they may have no, done they're st- some? No, they're still doing press stuff. I, uh, oh, you, oh, interesting. I mean, do you think they, they may have been doing, like, second units? I mean, because you, you have to know that. 
Yeah, principal photography. I, I bet, if nothing else, I bet the groundwork is in place that as soon as this tour ends, they can get back to work. And I bet when they sign these people, they make it clear what the shooting schedule is going to be, you know? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, uh, it gives them more. It was like the Lord of the Rings movies, you know? You're going to, this is your life now for about five years. Well, that's so. what I'm saying, though. You know, having a year or a year and a half between movies when you're filming back to back is one thing. But when you have to shoot an entire movie, do all the production and post-production, clean up everything, move everything out of the way, and start again in a year and a half. But my bigger thought was, they're nailing the Christmas thing, obviously. Like, why mess with it? Especially when you have Guardians of the Galaxy coming out, like, either three weeks before or three weeks after. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is coming out also in May of 2017. Also a Disney movie. Yeah, that's that's Disney. You don't want to. Uh... So you have two sci-fi movies from Disney in three weeks. I I don't know that that's a great idea. Uh, it's hard to bet against them at the moment, but <laughs> just really? being a little bit of an oracle and following these trends, um, you know. Um, let me let me put it to you this way, maybe as a as a close. So I'll start with Gabriel. Do you think that? In terms of oversaturation and just like the ability to endure as a franchise, do you think Star Wars will kind of go longer in the long run here, or the or the Marvel stuff? In terms of just sustaining over many many years and rebooting and rebooting and rebooting. I mean, it it goes hand in hand with you know the the whole merchandising and and whether or not it's going to remain I mean lucrative. I don't see. It's I don't see it uh, tailing off and 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 making money anytime soon. At least not not Star Wars. I can kind of see the superhero wave diminishing just because not, it's not just Marvel. You have Fox, right? Have I mean when when Fantastic, Warner Brothers? Yeah, Warner Brothers. And when Fantastic Four flopped, there were some reports. It was like, oh, is this a chink in the armor of Marvel? Like some people got confused and don't even understand that. You know, there's different studios. Yeah, that's Fox producing yeah. the movies. So, like for that reason alone, I, I could definitely and, and the reaction about a uh, uh, Age of Ultron and, and Ant Man for that uh, for that, for that matter. Like people were the, the, a little lukewarm luke on uh, well, the response. Uh, just to be fair, Avengers: Age of Ultron only grossed a hundred grand less than Avengers, and also Ant Man was by far the smallest budget it, in terms of the budget to returns. Ant Man is actually somewhere in the middle. Like, yes, the first Thor and Cat movies made more money, but they had significantly higher budgets. I could be wrong, Matt. I don't know if you know, but Ant-Man was like $130 million, which was by far... But people were, people were expecting maybe Guardians of the Galaxy after... I don't think anybody no. was expecting that. Paul Rudd with ants? No one was expecting that. No way. I mean, Especially a, a, shooter, a movie that had shooting problems where the original guy walked off because they were making too many changes. People had uh, were very unsure about Ant-Man, and I think it exceeded expectations, which were much lower than most of the other Marvel products. Yeah, I mean, Ant-Man made 520 mil on 130, and that's a huge return, yeah. you know? And when Civil War makes over a billion, yep. which I'm pretty confident it oh, will, yeah. people are not going to say the comic book movement is dying. No. When Batman v Superman makes over a billion, which I think it will, right. uh, even if it's not going to be good, and I'm not sure it will, well, people are not going to say the comic book era is dying. Yeah, uh, my question was a bit of a leading question, and, and what I'm trying to get to here is, Star Wars looks like the top of the world right now. But there's a lot of nostalgia going on. How many lightsaber battles can you have? 
uh, in terms of in films over the years. With comic books, there's an endless number of properties, you know? We're getting Inhumans, we're getting Black Panther, we're getting Doctor Strange. They're already showing pictures of Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. You know, we got uh, Captain Marvel, we got, you know... And the other Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah, and, there, there's gonna, the DC Captain right. Marvel is also going to have his own movie, or Shazam, whatever they're calling yeah, it. And, and TV, too. We, we, you yeah. know, we, we touched on the, the DC TV universe with Arrow and and Flash. Now there's out. Supergirl. Like, there's going to be Legends of, Legends of Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Like, yeah, the Netflix Marvel stuff. So yeah, that's why I'm just thinking like oh, superhero yeah. stuff may, in terms of oversaturation, it there just may be just too much. Yeah. And, and if you remember how like when Wu Tang Clan was like killing stuff, like and then they just started coming out with so many like affiliate groups, and then there was right. you know Wu Tang West Coast, and they just right. they just start. But with too much stuff, yeah. too many pro- properties using the same like brand, and mm-hmm. then after a while, it just it just it just gets too watered down. I, I I can see that in two or three years with super superheroes. Yeah, but the thing is, Star Wars is a genre. I guess what I'm getting at is Star Wars is a genre, and as Matt and I talked about before. You know, Marvel has proven that there are many genres that work within comic books. I mean, Winter Soldier versus Ant-Man versus the Avengers versus Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, that's like four different genres right there. And and so I just think Star Wars is so genre-specific. And, you know, when the original cast is gone, I, I think, you know, nostalgia, again, is powering a lot of this right now. I'm not saying Star Wars isn't sustainable over the next five years. I'm just not sure it, it is much beyond that. Um, because again, you can only have so many lightsaber battles, you know, it, it, like if you look at the lightsabers, I think Gabriel, you brought this up on the prequels that it was way too cutesy the way they did the lightsaber battles. It was too finesse. And that's, Oh, that, my last point, And then I'll let you guys make your last point was the battle between Ray and, uh, and, uh, Kylo Ren, just the, the physics and the kinetics of it and the sound was so amazing it was so brutal it was it was the exact opposite of the prequel fights where it's all choreography this i thought that fight of all this lightsaber fights the the ray kylo fight reminded me of the vader luke fight in empire in that you know at least half of what made it awesome was the emotion behind it you know and it's not that there wasn't great choreography but it, it was more about you know acting than than just straight up fighting uh that was one thing i loved about the movie um so uh yeah any last thoughts from anyone i mean that's generous to say that it approached the the emotional no no i'm just saying it reminded me of that that's all i'm saying it, the, the 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 vibe of it reminded me more than return of the jedi or than the prequels that, that's all i'm saying yeah, yeah. Especially, especially coming off the coming off the prequels I, yeah i get it for me i Sorry, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, all the flippy bullshit of the prequels never worked for me. Yep. I like that it was just two people hacking away at each other, totally. neither of which is perfectly trained with their weapon, you know, and that makes it feel a little bit more raw and a little bit more organic. Um, the one point I wanted to make about Marvel and Star Wars sure. are these sustainable. I think Marvel and comic films in general is a little bit more tenuous only because. Comic book sales are not very strong these days. Right. You know, print sales are not good. Um, the quality of the comics that are coming out week to week from Marvel and DC are not generally considered all that strong. Right. Um, some of the creator-owned companies, like I think Dark Horse, has got better stuff. But if print comics go away, 
I think the interest in superhero characters is going to diminish. I don't know how much, but at least a little. I think it's always going to be possible to get all of the Star Wars movies in whatever media format exists at the time. In 200 years, if we still exist as a people, you'll be able to get all of the Star Wars films in whatever format people are are experiencing films 200 years from now. And because of that, I think there's always going to be interest in watching lightsaber fights I think Star Wars is always going to be a sustainable franchise, especially now that we have a film that is both critically well-regarded and made. I mean, I think it's better than 50-50. This is going to go down as the highest grossing film of all time. I do kind of question what <laughs> what they're going to set their expectations for for episodes eight and nine when seven goes on to become the highest grossing film of all time. But that's a problem for two years from now. Well, remember also, Lucasfilm is more than the movies. They're making billions off the toys. So I'm not sure what the exact deal is with Lucas on, on the physical stuff. But I will say, uh, to, to back up your point, even though I was arguing the contrary, in my podcast with you, Gabriel, and you, Matt, we talked about Star Wars as being at least as much fantasy as science fiction, right? So if we look at Star Wars as fantasy, that actually actually helps it i mean think about were you guys ever really into like real sci-fi or fantasy books like books books growing up yes 100 absolutely i read all of the stuff that was for kids like uh, the dark is rising the susan cooper series is still one of my favorite series i read all the wrinkle in time books i read the high king books by lloyd alexander um i read what about the more adult stuff like robert jordan and that sort of thing no, I never got into him, but I read the Redwall books, which is fantasy. Sure. I read um, for science fiction. I read uh, the Ender's Game books. Sure. I read Starship Troopers when I was 15. Oh, hell yeah. Um, uh, I read Stranger in Strangeland much more recently, maybe a year ago for the first time. Uh, so, But I was always reading science fiction and fantasy for sure. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch much uh, fantasy. I, was, I read a lot of Stephen King when I was coming up but yeah so if you go if you know what to look for and you go to a bookstore if they're still around and you go to you go to the sci-fi fantasy section and if i told you which ones were fantasy and which ones were sci-fi what you notice is you have fantasy series that span 20 30 40 plus books you know what i mean or at least dozens whereas sci-fi books there are series and some of them are, are long but usually like like a sci-fi writer, they'll stop after six and then they'll invent a new concept. You know, because science fiction, you it can only take it so far. But fantasy is a timeless thing, like Star Wars. You know, it, it, in a weird way, because there is no technological development in either a normal fantasy setting or Star Wars, it actually helps because then you can just focus on storytelling and not like science fiction writers have to focus on all the, like the tech stuff. So if they keep approaching it, and I think JJ was true to the the fantasy thing in this one, would you guys agree? Uh, I would say so. I mean, overall, Gabriel, you know what I mean that that it felt like at least as much fantasy as sci-fi. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Actually, I think this one maybe was more because technological stuff added up even less than usual. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. The movie will make two billion. The interesting thing is if so, Titanic made like 2.1 billion it's number two right now but that was 97 if you put that into an inflation calculator that's like 3.2 billion today yeah apparently like it's a wonderful life or gone yep, or gone with the blank or something one of those old movies gone yeah is actually the highest grossing 
compared with how much the dollar was worth for its time. It it, it would be it would have grossed five to seven billion dollars <laughs> in today's oh, terms. It made like hundred hundred million in like nineteen. 19- 39 yeah like in the, so, in those dollars you know you know that was the only thing to do back in the day though it was like either that or you know go lindy hop somewhere it was like <laughs> that's true oh sorry <laughs> um all right guys well this was great i managed to keep matt on two hours beyond when he was supposed to so that's uh a victory for me at least sorry about that buddy that's all right uh, this was great gabriel thank you sir um, um, a nice. That's two nights in a row. We've, we've, yeah. Uh, we've uh, yeah. Don't get greedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would recommend to you guys and to the listeners to please see the movie a second time. Not because I want Disney to make more money, but just because my experience, I just had a lot more fun the second time when when everything kind of fell away and I could just focus in on the aesthetics and the dialogue and the characters. So I, I really like this movie. I would give this movie, I think, an A-. minus. It's somewhere between B plus and A-. minus. Um, not really sure. It's in that little zone there. Uh, it was quite good. I, I'm shocked at the critical response, actually. And I wonder if there's some nervousness among critics to trash the movie because it's Star Wars. But, you know, to be up there with the same rating as, like, Mad Max and Spotlight, I mean, it's sort of, I don't know, sort of bizarre. Um, and Creed 2 is up there. So, uh, yeah, this was great. Thanks again, guys. My pleasure. Look. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That was the Bizzlecast, and we are out.